to me, it seems like they're prioritizing that sunlight in cold weather conditions yeah. over what I would call premium bedding. Yeah. Which, I mean, having just got back from a week in the sun, I mean, I can see why. That sun is... Vitamin you D. You want that D all the old over D. you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Heck yeah, man. Dude, we put a lot of food in the ground every year, you know, seemingly more and more, and uh, we have a ton of fun with it during the off season. Uh, there's some struggles that come with it too, though, right? Obviously, the back of my truck is evidence, you know, right now. It's mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after uh, I jackknifed, you know, a 4,800-pound uh, material spreader, you know, as I was coming down, and it's just it was too much weight for my truck there. But, you know, all those struggles aside, you know, dude, Deer Grill really has been a staple for our food plotting process uh, for several years now. Yes, we like to put lime and fertilizer on the plots, you know, if we can, but there are some that it's just we're not able to get to them or it's not feasible for us to get out of state with that stuff and so deer grow is kind of the, the quick and easy but still super effective option for us to be able to get the most out of those food plots that we can every year yeah, and i mean we're guilty of over analyzing things just like everyone else but that's the best part about deer grow is that it's going to create healthier soils which in turn makes better food plots and the fact is is we can simply spray plot start or plot till when we put the seed in the ground and then when that plant starts to grow we hit it with boost we know that we walk away when we come back it's going to be a great looking food plot for anybody that's looking to try deer grow if you use the code hunter15 that's h-u-n-t-r-1-5 at checkout for deergrow.com and save 15 percent on any of your deer grow products it's a great way to get started on this and just see what the results are for yourself better food plots bigger deer another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Hey, on our podcast, the Grow Spoon Pod, one seventy, one seventy, the old magic number. Yeah. yeah. Hey, thank you guys for being here. Uh, whether you're on YouTube, Apple Podcast, or Spotify, uh, we appreciate you listening. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever's appropriate there. Um, we see you guys' comments. Everybody writing in, appreciate that. If we haven't gotten back to you, we're working on. It. We're trying to stay up with everybody there, but uh, appreciate your patience there, and we appreciate you being here. So let's. Get into it. You're on vacation. That's why we're behind on. Comments. Dude, I'm like I'm all freaking bottled up, like ready to. I'm bursting with excitement to be back and plugged in. That's a cool time. I mean, we talk about February kind of being that drag time. It's weird this year. Like it, it definitely seems like I don't know. I've seen a lot more bucks holding right now than than drop. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine are going like every day. Yeah, ones. yeah. I'd say I'm 50 percent off. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that the hardest part, and you kind of, you were out last week, but I mean, like we had some banging weather in a lot of places. So yeah, I, mean, I was on vacation, sitting on the beach, just like yeah. fest, festering about getting yeah. back when there's work to do and there's like sheds to be found. It's more stressful for 50s, me to sit on the beach than anything. It hit like 60 degrees one day. Did it? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, obviously like you want to go out and walk, you want to find sheds at that point. Oh yeah. And uh, so it was hard because like in a lot of cases, well, you like, found they're not ready. Yeah, yeah we did. Did you see this one that Jeremy found? You should, you should, yeah. yeah I'll get them. They're over here. Kind yeah. of like a, a potential, I mean, Giant. mega two-year-old. Yeah. Mega two-year-old. Mountain like, deer. What was it? 65-inch shed? Mm-hmm. 67. 67? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a monster. Yeah, with like no brow time. Yeah. And you knew, I mean, you'd seen that deer all year. Kind of, we just been kind of. Yeah. He showed up sometime in, um, in August, I think. Um. And yeah, you know, because maybe if he's a two-year-old, right, we're assuming there. If he's a two-year-old, like hard to match to who he was last year as a one-year-old. Would he be? I mean, have you gone back and looked? Yeah, I had a I had a really nice 10-point that I thought, again, you know, thought he was two last year, but he could have been one, and that could be this year. It's a tough, <laughs> tough match. Man, I'm guilty of... Two to three and three to four are you fairly want, easy. You want them to be of the upper age class. Like when, if you're like, oh, they're two or three. You want them to be three. In some cases, yeah. You know, because you buy, buy a whole year as far as like. Uh, yeah, I want to kill them at four. Yeah, four or five, whatever you're waiting for. But um, I'm guilty of thinking a deer is three, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then the next year I see him and I'm like, mm. I'm like, yeah. and then I look back at the year where I thought he was three. I'm like, he probably he was, was probably two. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough thing. I mean, so basically, I I gave uh, I gave like a 17 inch spread credit to this deer. He would have been 145 inches last year yeah. as Impressive. a potential this past year two as year. a two year old. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is yeah insane. I mean, to the point where we were talking about, I was like, I don't. Besides, I mean, there are some deer that meet, but it's like well beyond the bell curve of like how many deer are going to reach that potential yeah. that early. Yeah, it was a mainframe 11 point. Mm-hmm. And had really good time length. That's also no well beyond the bell curve, though. I mean, not a whole lot of two-year-olds are 11 points. No, mainframe 11. Had 22-inch beams. But yeah. had, but, and so people right now are listening to this. They're like, well, that, yeah, that's not a two-year-old. He had Grab three, it. So, yeah, so three and a quarter-inch People can see it here. Base. Three and a quarter-inch base. Yeah, like no mass. No mass. Yeah. So here, here's this shed. Anybody that's watching video here can see this. Yeah, and so that two broke off. Um, that two was as long as the three. Uh, if not, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, it, and again, uh, I'm calling it two and three. Could be shared base, but I don't think so. I think that's cleaner than what we've talked about on like CJ's buck and some of these other ones. I agree. He's just kind of web, um, He out. did break off his his brow, but it wasn't impressive to begin with. Yeah, not much. Yeah. There. So, but 22 inch. Uh, yeah, but he's three and a quarter inches at the base. Like there is no mass on this deer at all. No mass. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's cool. I mean, dude, it's it is you know. I mean, there's, like, there's there's far more impressive antlers when it comes sure. to mass. Well, yeah, I mean, here, but when it comes here's to, another deer that's similar in terms of yeah, being a six yeah, six on one side exactly, and that's a four year old deer. But this antler is going to score almost as good. I mean, you're going to lose mass. Just yeah, the mass just doesn't. But other than that, time length and everything is similar. Beam length, spread. Number and length of tines is what gives you score. Mm-hmm. Mass is it, uh, a great is a 70, indicator of age, and it's impressive to hold on to them. Mid-70s shed, I think, is that what that one was? I don't know. 
Loyal, loyal 70s. Loyal 70s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can, whatever. We'll put it there. Hey, let's give a plug real quick to while we're talking about Shed. So we're, we're TJ Eads uh, is the founder of uh, Rack Hub. He's a mm-hmm. good, good friend of ours. Uh, a few other companies as well. So he's an entrepreneur. They have a design company. And uh, we're working with Rack Hub this year. We've actually... In years past, we've used a lot of their stuff to display our shed oh, yeah. antlers. Yep. And unfortunately, like we've lost hides and stuff in the past. And so, in lieu of like a European yeah, mount, mule deer. Yeah. So they've got really sweet mounts that actually drill. You know, uh, later today, in fact, for some of these, we're going to drill right into the base of the antler, and it's mm-hmm. it's got a little uh, plug that you put in it. It essentially doesn't affect the antler. It, it doesn't like hurt it or take away sure. from the quality. And it's it's. It mounts then you can to mount the wall, it. Where, yeah. or wherever you want to put the mount on, and you could put it on something to put on a table or something, mm-hmm. and you can take them off anytime. So yeah. that's what's awesome is like you know a mount like these is like you can look at them, but you you're not going to do anything. You can really hold them in your hand when it's on the wall, and you can take them off and hold them, and mm-hmm. it's pretty sweet. So they gave us a, a promo code. I think it's Hunter Ten H U N T R Ten. Um, so any of our listeners can get ten percent off of their stuff, and it's at rackhub.com. Yep. Uh, I think shed season is an well, affiliate that's what I was gonna company. Say, yeah, like I was, <clears throat> I, if people were following like the Instagram stories, I was tagging Rack Hub and Shed Season in this, you know, and and they've got some really cool apparel and stuff like that. That you know, it's that time of the year, like you know, we kind of get in this funk in February and March, and it's like, eh, what are we gonna do? Like, you get out and walk. Mm-hmm. You scout, you walk, try to find sheds. Yeah, well, it, it's just. I mean, dude, these sheds are like all year long. You know, it's this yeah. is all part of the deer. It's like it's one of it's one of the more. Uh, the things we get to take away from them and, and hold and be like, man, this this was him. You know, I found this tight rack mm-hmm. here. So you can throw them in a pile, which we all have a you know pile sure. of antlers and stuff. Yeah, you and, see it on our table every every episode. You know, but for some of them, it's like I think they just deserve a little bit more of a they do a place <laughs> if they know? have meaning. Like I know you've got pretty boy shed up on one of yeah. the rack hub mounts uh, in your office, which is you know not only is that like a world class you know four point shed, like it's also a deer that's got a lot of meaning. To, to well, you behind in it. my office at home i've got three so i've got an r1 because we only found yeah uh, one side of pretty boy mm-hmm. and so that's the side that i, I hard know. to believe in retrospect like how they hold that because that thing was heavy i remember how we were like oh yeah well they're solid i mean yeah. it's some sort of steel and it's got a ball joint on it yeah. so i mean you can move it in any direction that you want and then i've got two more of the r2s so one is the resident an ohio yeah. buck that i found both sides off of so mm-hmm. i mounted him yep and your muley, the, the other's my muley because the freezer went down on your cape. The f- yep, and we've all had that happen. Yeah, right. So Sucks. I lost the cape in the freezer, and I for whatever reason I, I just think I just didn't want to do a European on that, so I mm-hmm. just cut the antlers off and put them right on a. On yeah, R2. we talk about that. Like I know, um, like we've got plenty of Europeans, but there's like only so many you can like display and put up, and then it's like you know it used to be the old just like skull cap, you know, but then that kind of looks. A little bit junky on the wall. Yeah, I don't do skull cuts. I do. I'll do. I'll do the rack hub mounts for mm-hmm. antlers. I'll do Europeans, and those end up, you know, on the table. Yeah. Or, or uh, you can you can mount those to the wall mm-hmm. too. And then we'll do, you know, either a shoulder mount or like for my North Dakota buck last year, I'm doing a pedestal. It's going to mm-hmm. sit on top of like a whiskey barrel, and that is my shed pile. It sits on top of that barrel right now. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So th- if, if people were um, following some of this stuff, this was actually the shed that popped off in the trail camera picture. Mm-hmm. So he was fighting with a, an eight point, and next thing you know, he didn't have half side, and it's laying in the picture like this. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. You can I see, see you got a little bit of chew on there. Yeah, well, it had been down for a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, it actually like slid down the hill and was kind of sitting down the hill. So Emily went up and picked this one up um, on Saturday. And then 
we went out to the new farm and this buck had been, this was probably a four year old. Um, I'd seen him drop. He had both sides. Uh, I saw him come back through 10 minutes later with only one side. And so most of the deer are still holding on that property, but I was like, eh, I know there's at least this guy has dropped one shed. And actually I saw him again, then he had both of them dropped. And so we, um, found this one in one of the back food plots and then we were looking for the match set on it and uh harlan actually found uh what would have been a two-year-old shed from uh, a deer that we had a lot of pictures and camera with this year and so yeah it was cool to, to trip on a, an old shed from from last year on that side and like i said most of those deer are still holding so we we only shed hunted for i think i found a spike and a four uh fork as well um where this guy was, but most of them are holding. And I think we only shed hunted for like three hours. It's probably the most successful three hours I've ever shed hunted. <laughs> We've had a pretty successful shed season so far. Yeah. I mean, it's just for I've, most of them holding and like not really putting the miles on yet. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been out once and I found that, yep. uh, same. It was intentional. Yeah. And, and you've done the, done the same essentially same. here. So, yeah. So it's cool to, yeah, it's cool to get, um, get hands on them and, and see and uh you know just start to get out there and scout too I've, i was looking like most of my bulbs are are like pretty rotted through at this point um yeah. on the brassica side dude well, i gotta tell you we should talk about this at some point i i, I mean every year i have to like reassess mm-hmm. what what seed you know we're gonna put in and yep. stuff but man i just my brassica plots like i if i think back year over year it's like there are times like in september where they look really good yep and even in october and, and yeah i mean they they use it, but the intention is like I want those to be a source to complement like standing grain through February and March. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know. Tough. If, yeah, I mean, if it's just the planting date, or I mean, this year it was, I you know, it was the planting date for me. I was like two weeks late, and they were getting mowed because we had that drought. drought. But I just, I mean, I've got one of the three that I planted that right now I think still has a little bit of food in it. Mm-hmm. And the other two essentially just were, were kind of a wash. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen them like now that those radishes and stuff are like rotten out. Like I just, I can't imagine that's appetizing to a deer. Um, yeah. And I don't think they do that as much when it's consistently cold. Like, yeah. if, you know, they'll eat a, you know, Oh yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. Pulled straight out or, or, but this is like, I mean, they're like, I kicked them and they're like hollow and rotted at this point. Yeah. Um, you want to, even if it's a little bit of like frozen slush, like, no, I mean, this it's, it's like rot, like, you know, almost to the point we've all walked through like an old, like brassica field and it stinks. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it smells like cabbage, rotten cabbage, uh, (laughs) cabbage hands, you know, uh, I don't know that one. (laughs) uh, I think it was, uh, was that Austin Powers? Tiny hands smells like cabbage. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, talk about the carnies. The like, carnival, like carna- carnival, carnival workers, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tiny hands smells like cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so it's like it's rotted. Now, what is cool is I've got um, they're they're hurt, putting a hurting on it, but I mean I still have a lot of standing corn. Um, you do, yeah, a lot of a lot of still. What's your, what's your cob situation? It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I mean they're they're crushing it though at this point. I mean giant beds just all, all right. through the corn and well, stuff. Okay, so I've got a lot of standing beans and and. and uh, you know, essentially, I have no reason to change because they've done so mm-hmm. when they're holding a lot of deer there. But it's enough acreage, and the corn, as we've talked about in the past, does give you some design ability. Yeah, you know whether it's screening or mm-hmm. or edge. I would consider incorporating some corn into that standing grain field next year. Yeah, I mean, I think in retrospect, like um, 
first of all, it was the corn was tough. Like that was a tough thing to establish and control weeds in because I didn't spend the money on Roundup Ready corn. It was like, what did you put in again? What was that? Um, I bought that. It's called Hybrid Eighty Five. It's an online like direct to consumer corn. It was like eighty bucks a bag or something. Eighty five bucks a bag. I can't remember. Okay. Um, and so it's you can use like corn selective um herbicides on it to like kill grass and stuff, but they're not. It's not Roundup Ready. And Roundup Ready corn was like three hundred bucks a bag. Okay. Um, for and that would cover like, I think an acre. Okay. So it's expensive. Wow. Yeah, like three times as expensive. Exactly. As beans, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it. I, I failed in uh in Ohio, but I think that was freeze oriented. We got a freeze like, I planted the last week of April. Let me just because in my head I'm thinking that that's a big price difference, but they also Giant. as far as like. I assume bushel per acre is how you'd even compare the two. Corn puts out significantly more yes. bushels per acre. Correct. Yep. I would assume approximately three times. Yeah. And I mean, they, they use it throughout the year. The The hardest part is like, I guess two things is number one, like where I planted in Kentucky, it turned out great. It was old pasture, right? First time we've ever cultivated anything in those fields for probably a long time. In fact, the guys used to tell me that before it was cattle pasture, it was a tobacco field. Like that's what they planted. Um, so the the problem there is, is two things. Number one, it, it like doesn't get that cold. Like it's not like up here, even into like where you're at in Ohio. And so like, I don't think they really were on that corn that much, even into November and early December. Um, so really that when did I start seeing deer like piling into that corn after the season was over, like end of January, early February. Mm-hmm. So it, Maybe it's going to be an awesome thing from a carbohydrate standpoint to lead them into antler growing season here. But from a hunting standpoint, yeah, it gave me some design capabilities, some really good screening to get in and out of stands. But it, I don't think it really held or was attractive to deer as much as I thought it would be in October and November. Mm-hmm. Plus in Kentucky, I have the whole month of September, which is a giant bean advantage there. Because it's green beans for the entire month of September, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely noticed a uh, a correlation with temperature and usage of like that of that grain field of the bean field that I've got planted. Yeah. Like this past week, you know, I've got cameras essentially mm-hmm. all around it, and it's been fairly like, dead. You know, there's deer in there. Yeah, but it's been fifty to sixty degrees. But it's nothing compared to you know the week or two before where it was consistently cold. And we had some snow on the ground and stuff, and it was like here's Piling here's on. all the bucks. You yep. know, I just think that they, you know, I don't know. They, there's probably especially when the sun comes out and stuff. Like they've got still browse in the woods and stuff. There's just not. Yeah. There's no like desperation for them to get to like they have to eat i mean that's yeah. that's well, inevitable eating. but when it's cold they have to generate a ton of body heat which is burning calories when it's warm like that and they have that hollow hair and they can get on a south facing slope and soak up sun like they're not burning energy nearly as much as they are in that cold time frame check us out dude this was kind of an interesting thing that i observed the other day so i've got like a lot of you know we've done a lot of tsi mm-hmm. on the timber and stuff and we did that burn last year it looks to mm-hmm. me it looks great i'm like man this is, is good betting and stuff i have seen some of these bucks that are ending up at that bean field bedding fairly close to the road i mean it's you know you sure got, you got to know where to look essentially but it's it's one of those areas that i haven't touched it's like no tsi it's fairly open timber the only thing about it is it's uh it's south, it's 
essentially western, but it's southwestern facing knob. Yeah, so it's, they're getting sunlight. It's getting the sunlight. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that, like, to me, it seems like they're prioritizing that sunlight in cold weather conditions yeah. over what I would call premium bedding. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're you know, you're not hunting them. They're not really feeling the pressure right now. Which, I mean, having just got back from a week in the sun, I mean, I can see why. That sun is... Vitamin you D. You want that D all the old over D. you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what is it? Like, uh... It's like 90% of Pennsylvanians, adult Pennsylvanians, are vitamin D deficient because it. it's a, we're living a gray hole of hell yeah. here. Um, it's not that bad. It's been, oh, dude, it's, there is not a whole lot it's, of sunshine. It's one of right. the, it's one of the worst places in the United States for, for sunshine. sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. It's a smog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It is. It's, it's pretty substantial in terms of the, because it's funny, because it'll be, like, gray and shitty here, and I'll drive three hours to the Ohio farm, and it's, like, bluebird skies and sunny. I'm like, the hell? It is always sunny at the farm. Yeah. In Philadelphia, in Philadelphia too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Just the of the state, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's not sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> either. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's I think that's – but here's, here's kind of – where I'm looking at it, like obviously from a carbohydrate building fat reserves, that's one thing. Um, and, and good for an energy standpoint, but ultimately these bucks especially need protein right now, which corn does not offer, you know, that, that corn that I planted is whatever, 8% protein or something. Why do they need protein right now? Build back the muscles they lost during the rut. Hmm. Has there ever been a study done to, to, you know, identify what, sources whether it's carbohydrate or protein they're seeking at different times of the year um i i would assume it's just in check they've done plenty around the like anatomy and the burn off so like obviously the fat reserves are the first to go right so during the rut when a buck's chasing he's burning his fat reserves out of the gate he's not losing muscle right away because he has fat reserves to burn that's the energy source and stuff it's got to be some of both well but it's not nearly as much as it will when the when the fat reserve goes away then it's it is like deterioration and breakdown of muscle quickly that's the weight gain uh or weight loss part that you see like they don't really are they're not losing a ton of weight during the fat reserve side as much as they are as the muscle breakdown aspect of things Hmm. muscle weighs more than fat it is interesting to think that like you know like it's probably because of like a, a fairly sedimentary lifestyle, but like human, we have to work out to like maintain muscle mass and mm-hmm. keep fat off. There's just more build, build or like there's, they're not hitting the gym. It's more just around. It's like fasting. Like they've, it, it, you know, their diets are so vulnerable. Well, but I'm talking about building muscle. Like there's just, just more about like their, their lifestyle. Straight, straight testosterone. Mm-hmm. It's steroids. Well, it's probably like environmentally, it, uh, in influenced like deer in more steep terrain like your kentucky deer i bet their muscle tone is more yeah, i don't know maybe because wh- you know where at what where are deer building muscle I, when does that happen you know i mean yeah. is that it's well, not I mean, it's not meandering across a flat ag field to just eat as many beans as you want it's like the old it's climbing hills you know if you think about like the old wives wives tales type stuff it was um you know people would talk about a buck robin to build his neck muscle I'll tell you what that was a that was like a big thing like think, growing up is like if a buck was like rubbing a big tree it was just because he's building that muscular neck. I and shoulders. I really. doubt I, it may have that effect, but I doubt. I that's mean, not why they're doing that's it. That's not though. why they're doing it. I do think a lot of deer like this here. Yeah. I mean, I, 
they do break them off fighting. I personally think the deer break more tines off rubbing. Yeah, especially on those gnarly trees where they kind of get them caught. I mean, how many deer have you seen picture-wise that are like they get found dead because they get their antlers well, stuck just, in trees? Yeah, and imagine like, you know, we've all seen rubs, especially mm-hmm. the ones that are shredded. I mean, like take an antler out with you and try to duplicate that. Yeah. Like you really got to lay into that thing. It's well, not like the they're break. Just, like, not like they're just rubbing it. Like, like these are obviously a lot thinner tines than some of these other deer, but I mean that's still a lot of force to break that that tine. I don't think it is. I can snap that off of one hand, I bet you. Squeak here. I'm not going to obviously. This but, is a, an uneducated question, but look, look at this, Nick, before you ask that. Yeah. Look at that. How easy that is. Yeah. See him? Yeah. I could easily snap that off. Yeah. Maybe not true. with a heavier Yeah, like this one, I don't know. Yeah. Do they Maybe. We'll get uh, Bomar on that one. It's <laughs> possible. Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When their antlers are attached, do, do they feel them? Like, no. when they break, they can't feel it breaking? No. no. Okay. Yeah. It's just dead bone. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at that point. Now, I mean, down here at the base, like, oftentimes, I think these were all clean breaks. Yeah. So these are all clean, but sometimes you'll see part of that pedicle get caught and break off on that. In fact, there's a little bit there, but I mean, not, not enough that it's going to, you know, have a significant effect, but you know, even some like this deer's got, you can see like, that's a lot more like bulgy basically. Yeah. Than even, um, than even that one, like from a flat standpoint, I guess, you know, so if you see those kind of like that, so, and it's, it's just different growth cycles that these deer have on their pedicle side or, or past injuries or whatever it might be. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you think about the muscle breakdown. I mean, obviously testosterone is the biggest factor along with age. Like those are your two, like a a four-year-old buck is going to be more muscular than a two-year-old buck, um, Mm -hmm. from that side. And then, you know, I would assume that, that at some point, yeah, terrain hardiness of it. I mean, you know, you, you see, uh, a six-year-old mountain buck. I mean, that deer is built like a shit brick house. Brick shit house. Brick shit house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Shit brick house. Brick shit house. A shit yeah. brick house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's. But I mean, so is a farm-raised buck. What is a brick shit house? Uh, Probably like an old outhouse. I don't know. A brick built like a yeah, like an old house. I bet old outhouse. Right. I bet you're right. Like an old outhouse that's still standing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I sorry. On a saying? That's good to, yeah. Can you Google it? Right. I bet I bet that is what it is. I bet there's some, shit house. I bet it's something like you know when tornadoes used to go through, like the last thing standing would be like their the the outhouse because they to the old outhouse build it with brick or something. Um, but you no, know, you think about like a buck on your farm, a six year old buck on your farm. I don't know if he ne- so necessarily looks less muscular than a mountain deer that's six years old. I don't know. I wouldn't think so, at least. Yeah, I don't know how you'd even test that. No. You'd have a competition. I mean, you'd have to have, you'd have to have similar like rutting time frames, and then recording those like different muscle. I mean, think about like the neck measurements. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big indicator. I oh. mean, it, um, just muscle. Is it? Mm-hmm. Dude, the neck growth is interesting. Like that's not. Cause like taxidermists take that one right under the mm-hmm. chin. But if you think about like base, like. Above, right off the shoulders, like basal circumference, freaking that's thick. Uh, yeah. She thick at that point. Yeah. Um, well, but a lot of that. What is that? What's in the neck? That's. I mean, it is muscles. I mean, you know, mm. if you skin a deer down, right? No. It, yeah. It's pretty much all muscle meat. Yeah. What's something's causing inflation there, though, right? Testosterone. 
It's a steroid. The, is that just of the muscles itself? Testosterone is literally telling that muscle to swell? To just grow, build. Like, it's it's a steroid, essentially. It's like a steroid injection. Here we go. Confirmed. Brick shit house. Uh, a standalone outdoor toilet. There it is. Nice. The old outhouse. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Solid construction. Yeah. Solid. Not a wood shit house. Yeah. A brick, brick shit house. Man, yeah. that's interesting. That's what it, it comes down. Same with their shoulder muscles and all that. I mean, think of like... Um, well, think of like your North Dakota buck. Cape out down to the neck on that North Dakota buck versus like during the rut when that shit's stretched. Oh, I know. It's like, holy fuck, man. You can't get your knife in there. You're trying to, I mean, it's, it, that hide is toit on that thing. Mm-hmm. Brian's was that way. Yeah. This past year. He was, uh, that deer was two, what was he? 240. Yeah. Field dressed. Yeah. That's a monster. He was a giant deer, like yeah. super muscular deer. I, I think he was a four year old. And that was November? No, it was mid-October. Yeah, so, I mean, that's probably not even at his peak testosterone level at that point. you got to be close. Because I, I don't, once they start rutting, I don't, they only lose muscle at that point. Yeah. It may be, like, lean so muscle. So, you probably had another week or so. Yeah, he was probably towards the peak. And, and you know, it was a mass crop year, so he had just piles of acorns. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, Which is carbs. Then that's not protein, right? So that's not building muscle. Did, have we looked that up? I know 100%. That seems wild to me. It's a nut. It's carbs. <laughs> it's carbs. No protein in acorns. I mean, I'm not saying no, but it's I, I assume it's like corn. Nick can look it up, but I bet it's like corn. Sure did. We did already. Look I think it's like, I bet it's like 8, 8%, you know. Hmm. Well, there's got to be an element of like, dude, deer are not like. I mean, so that's what you. They're think. not solely focused on serv- like they want to enjoy themselves too, right? They like. I don't know. There's got to be some time where they prefer taste of something over absolutely nutrient. if they have the option. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 more fat than protein. So a one ounce serving of raw acorns, hundred ten <laughs> calories, one point seven four grams of protein, six point eight grams of fat. Yeah, so one point that's like that's no not, protein. A lot of fat, a little bit of protein. Did it say carbs? Mm, I don't see carbs okay. here. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, that's your. But that's so acorns is building your fat reserve, right? So through that early part of fall, sure. prior to rut, fat reserves, then those are burning themselves off. But I think that what people fail to realize, because everybody goes to the mindset of like, okay, um, whatever, it's late spring, early summer, velvet antlers. I need protein. Right, I need feed protein, I need uh, soybeans, I need iron clay cow peas, whatever it is, right? Protein, protein, protein. I think the big overlook, and I don't know how many studies have really looked at it t- like close, but the amount of carbs and fat reserves they build up through this fall time frame into the winter, when I think that there's a giant effect on those deer coming into the spring, whatever condition they're entering this spring, is setting them off either like a rocket ship to oh, put definitely. on body and antler size, or they're going to be repairing their body for quite a while. And it's going to diminish the value of definitely. or ability to grow definitely. antlers. I, I related to like, you know, if, you know, I, and I've gotten better about it, but there, there have been seasons where it's like, I didn't touch a weight like mm-hmm. through the entire, you know, yeah. I was just hunting, I was just hunting and, yeah. and working. And I know that when the time came, like, January, February, when the season was kind of behind. And I was like, I would fall into like a state of depression. Like I was like, I just from lack of exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've gotten better to where, you know, now I can stay a little bit more consistent through. And when the time comes, like January, February rolls around, it's like, I'm in fairly good shape. Like I can, 
I can uh, bounce into it pretty quick. Yeah. And on a human element of things, it's sure. like we got to keep. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at like mule deer coming mm-hmm. up, right? It's mm-hmm. six months out. Still six, eight, six, seven months out. But yeah, yeah, I'm at a better place now to start training for that. Right. But, but you're right. Yeah. I mean the easier winters mm-hmm. and more food availability, less stress, all of those things, I think, uh, have bucks in a better place. And we should be, this, this year should be for, I don't care if you're in Minnesota or you're in Pennsylvania or you're wherever, like we've had a very mild winter. Um, Truthfully. Yeah. I mean, I can't, even last year, dude, there was only a few day stretch. There was like a two or three day stretch where it was right around Christmas that we had that like super cold. It was when dad killed that eight point, Mm -hmm. but that was it. I mean, other than that, it it was. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about back to back years. Now the EHD (laughs) plays a factor into like, you know, we talked about this morning, like takes five years to grow that buck back. But for those deer that are making it through and having a warmer winter, like these deer should be entering spring this year in a much better body condition than they have in the past. Um, maybe it's not because there was like more food availability as much as it was. It just wasn't so harsh on them. Um, but I think that's going to be a big factor as we start to look into later this spring and early summer for velvety. I, I think you'll see deer putting on inches faster because they won't have to repair their body as much um now it's going to vary from area to area but mm. I, I would say overall in a sweeping format you'll probably see you may see some deer further along this year than you have in the past earlier in the season yeah it's hard to, hard to know you know uh how best to influence antler growth and and also the question is like is it is it worth it like on non-fenced properties which is what we're all hunting right the hunter podcast is brought to you by muddy and stealth cam trail cameras cell cams cell cams cell cams what an evolution the industry has seen and we've experienced personally over the past five ten you know whatever cameras were invented right it's like man it's totally changed the way that we inventory deer patterned deer and ultimately the decisions that we make when we're going out to hunt they're a serious piece of the puzzle and, and uh, you know that information is invaluable for us we trust the muddy and stealth cams you know together to be able to, to collect any of that information yeah, I mean, as an admitted trail cam addict, you know, I've definitely been guilty of, of underhunting places or relying too heavily on that information that's come in. That said, it's an invaluable tool to the overall management plan and strategy that I have for my own properties or even hunting public land. It doesn't matter. We have a finite amount of time in going out and hunting. So when you and I are after a particular class or quality of deer, usually a mature buck, we can't waste time hunting an area where that deer doesn't exist. And those cell cams provide that information that allow us to spend the time in the area with the highest chance to accomplish our goals. I say it all the time, man. They can't kill them if they're not there. That's it. So right now, any of our listeners can use uh, code HUNTER20 to get 20% off either muddy or stealth cameras. Uh, we're certainly going to be taking advantage of that, and we hope you guys do too. Yep, check out Stealth Cam and Muddy. Yeah, right, so I just had a bunch of flights and delays and stuff. So it's like, I find myself just like mm-hmm. scrolling through old galleries, looking from year to year, dude, it's really amazing how many deer have essentially gone missing. Like, uh, uh I don't think there's any worse feeling to be honest. Well, it's the unknown. Uh, well, I mean, and at this point I got to assume they're dead. Cause I'm looking as far back as 2016, you know? Sure. And it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. And there's all these, I mean, over the years, there's been a dozen or two dozen, you know, two and three year old bucks that I'm like, dude, oh, that would have been a whopper. And it's just like, you know, never go. knew. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of got killed. Never, I assume. I assume. Like we I assume to. died. Yeah. It's it. I think that's the big thing. Um, when we start looking at these, the different regions and it obviously depends on the pressure, but like, you know, per the fact of like this deer surviving, um, I mean, it, 
I didn't, most of the deer that I had at the beginning of the year, I ended with, like they didn't get killed. And that's not because I control like a massive amount of property. It's just, there's not a lot of hunting pressure there. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, there were deer, there was a deer last year that I had a lot of history with that, um, actually I take that back. It was this, this past year I had a deer show up that I haven't seen in two, over two years. And a clearly the same deer showed back up as probably a four-year-old this year. And it's like, where'd he go for two years? I don't know. Um, but like, it, it's hard to determine in most cases, if you're in a heavily pressured state and a fragmented state, like let's say Ohio, uh, or Wisconsin, I think a lot of those deer die. Like when they disappear, they didn't shift. They didn't bury themselves somewhere. Yeah. They got killed. They're dead. Get shot. Yep. Yeah. Whether it's hunters or cars or or disease, whatever. But in some of these, especially these big wood areas, like you get, which is what I'm in in Kentucky, like these deer just vanish, and like I don't think they're dead. I think they just go and move, and and for whatever reason, and then maybe they'll come back. Hard to say. Yeah, man, they just have a high mortality rate. Like there's so many things that can get them, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's hunters or cars or, I mean, do these bucks kill each other a lot? I yes. think like just going, just stabbing each other, mm-hmm. like in the guts and, or in a way that, you know, or they get brain abscesses from fighting and they just don't make the winter and, you know, up North and stuff, there's winter kill off. There's, you know, wolves, wolves. in some areas, a big thing, yeah. which by the way, so Martana connected us with, uh. Yeah, the guy from Colorado. Yeah, a guy from Colorado that's pretty knowledgeable on the the wolf stuff. So we're going to get connected with him and, and maybe kind of address some of that. He's from Colorado, but uh, you know, hopefully yeah. there's some uh, there's some uh, we can that can translate to uh, it's Michigan that's having that issue, right? Michigan, northern Wisconsin, Wisconsin, maybe northern Minnesota as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can go. It just it, I think. Um, it's like Kansas. The the more rural and and less pressured you are the more opportunities deer have to survive. I mean, if you think about Kansas, there's places in Kansas that are just desolate. Yeah, they like, die of old age. They yeah. die of old age, you know, and then you fast forward to a high-pressure state like Pennsylvania that has the densest mm-hmm. amount of hunters in the nation, and it's like these deer, unless you're in A&F, they don't die of old age. They die from a car, another buck, or a hunter. Mm-hmm. That's it, but Dude, they die. Speaking of that, uh, I think it was last week when we were recording. I actually looked this up just because I was curious <laughs> hearing you guys talk. Uh Deer, like, how come, y- you know, they you feel like when they're getting pressured, right, they're, uh, like, with cars and stuff, how do they not realize that when they go out, how do they not get used to that in their brain? Like, they're being hunted by hunters all the time, but they're, you'd think by Yeah, nature, you're saying they adapt to hunting pressure, but right, not to, but like, not they to can't cars. figure out how to not get hit by a car. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It, so here's the numbers. It, it's, uh... Like six million deer are harvested every year, but two million are hit by cars. Yeah, yeah, that's substantial. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. There's got to be there is some sort of mental, con- uh, not like condition, but they can't fig- they can't figure it out. There's know. some whether it's death perception or like the blinding of the headlights and stuff. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, they just can't quite figure. They haven't figured out the the, the, the traffic survival pattern. Yeah. It blows yeah. my mind because, yeah. like, where I live, I've hit a lot of deer myself. Yeah, yeah. me too. I, yeah. I've hit a couple. I've yeah, hit a couple. But I say it's a similar ratio. Like, yeah. ratio wise, if I've killed six with my bow, <laughs> I've killed two with my truck for sure. It, it's funny to see. Even I guess from because, like, where I live, it's it's on a it's at a lake community. So these deer can't old, be an old folks home. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, the, these deer can't be hunted, so they just you know. 
are around. Yeah. People are treat big, them like big pets. bucks there? I don't see bucks ever. Interesting. Maybe a few spikes, but. just not, Is there not much habitat for them there? Mm, I mean, there's woods, but I don't know. It, it, but, you know, you, you look at a community like that, and the deer just are on the roads. Like, they don't, cars don't phase them, and it's just crazy. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, it is something around the perception. It's just like, you know, from a hunter side, they're not, like, running from hunters. They're running from some sort of threat ap- apparent to them, you know, and, and whether they smell it, see it, whatever. Um, well, what do you mean by that? I don't think that they're necessarily, they don't know that it's a hunter trying to. They know it's a person. Definitely. They smell you. I don't know. Because here's an interesting one. Do you think they're processing that? Definitely. 100%. And they know probably what sex you are and what nationality you are. Well, I mean. (laughs) Everything from 100 yards. Most of the people in the country don't even know what sex they are anymore. Well, but they do. The deer do. Yeah. The deer do. Uh, Um, Wiener. where was his end? Um, You're thinking that they they can interpret, definitely. yeah. Because I, I went through a, a time there where I was like, "Why am I so worried about going into bedding areas? Like mm-hmm. I'm just another predator, and these coyotes are running through these bedding yeah. areas all the time. Yeah, and like, what's the, what's the difference? And so, uh, but there clearly is mm-hmm. because I can you can watch a coyote walk out through the middle of a bean field and all the deer look at it. And I mean, they acknowledge it. And in some cases, yeah, but they're, they're not like, yeah, gone. yeah, they see a human walk out through a bean field. Like they're not thinking twice. Yeah. They're out. They know that we're like a superior predator. We, they know that we have some ability to kill them more than coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you, uh, trying to think how to, have you ever like walked in in the morning and like ran into a deer like early in the morning like still dark yeah story of my life yeah (laughs) and like every time (laughs) and have have you ever had them like like approach you like because they don't know what you are all right so yeah another interesting side deal here so psycho and i yeah we're you know whatever going back and forth about uh the headlight thing Mm because i'm like not a big headlight guy Mm -hmm. more for people than for deer i just don't want agreeing I don't want anybody to see where I'm at or, and I don't want deer to like trespassing is what he's saying. <laughs> well, no. And I just don't want anybody. I, you know, I just, I'm just not yeah. interested in being seen. Yeah. And dude, there is something and this ties into the deer, uh, in the headlight type thing. Like they either can't see it or it disorients them. Cause yeah. like, yeah, I've had them approach me and I've walked right past them. Like, yeah. I, oh Yeah. I don't know what's going on in their brain. Like I've walked right past you in the dark that I think clearly can see me, probably smell me. Yeah. And I'm just looking at them with my headlight and they'll and let just, it slide. Yeah. Like as if I'm not a sure. coyote in the bean field. They'll let me walk. Yeah. They'll let me go. Yeah. I've had that too. I'm a, I'm a green headlight kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't use white light at all anymore. Mm. I use green and I've had it to where like I've had bucks. Like I've looked at it and I'm like, damn it. That deer's like 20 yards from me. And, like, I'll stop and turn the light off, and that deer will walk to me. Like, I can hear it getting closer. With the light off. With the light off. Hmm. There's something there. Like, either the light is disorienting them and make so they can't see you behind yeah. the light, which is possible. Because when you Very possible. Yeah, deer in the headlights type of thing. <laughs> but when you shut the light off, I would think. I just don't think that their, their eyesight is good, way better than us in the dark. But it's not good either. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a shape. Like, that's where, like, if you used to walk through, like, cattle pastures and stuff, like, half the time I think they think I'm a cow. 
walking through. Like they just know that there's some outline of things walking through and there's cows walking through and like they just don't. That's normally where I see it in Kansas is when I'm walking through a cow pasture and I'll hit a deer like, uh, you know, out of the peripheral and I'll shut it off and I'll hear that deer walking to me and has like no fear of me being there. It's just curious. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, that's where that, you know, to your point, you walk into a bean field when there's a bunch of deer feeding in it, they're gone. <laughs> they're out of there. But it's, it's not that in the cover of darkness uh, at all. And sometimes even during daylight, like, you know, plenty of times where I've walked up and like the deer just doesn't, you know, it's trying to move its head because it needs that movement to catch your outline. Yeah. They just, I don't think they don't their know. eyesight is, I mean, it's not as good as ours. That's for sure. Not as clear, I think, as ours. Yeah. Well, I would say good, you know, is subjective. Like they're, it's better well, it's at night than ours is. It's different. It's more, they yeah. can see directionally more Yeah, and they can pick up movement. Right, because mm-hmm. they're a, pr- a prey animal as yep. opposed to us. Like our eyes are yep. in the front of our head, yeah, and we can see a long way, yeah, clearly. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's weird because I do think inevitably they smell me. They're ten yards from me. Like they smell me. Yeah. Um, they're just not sure. It, it doesn't resonate as clearly as it would be you walking into the middle of a bean field when they're feeding in an evening or something like that. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I do think that they they definitely have perception to your point on the coyote of like I fear this, you know, I'm skeptical or I'm I'm shaky on this and then like I have no fear of whatever, a bunny rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um so it, I don't know how they necessarily how they react is definitely I think it's also a mannerism thing. Like I think, you know, if if that Think about maybe not a coyote necessarily, but think about like a wolf or a mountain lion, like stalking on it. That deer is getting the hell out of there because it knows it's in deep shit. Mm-hmm. But if a coyote's just kind of like cruising through a oh, field, yeah. I don't think they feel threatened by that thing at I all. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you I know? agree. So it's it's that behavior. Well, well, and so perception. we can do the same thing. I mean, sure. I have done, you know, if you're walking out a deer and they see you're looking at it, mm-hmm. that's the same. It's kind of the same when you're not. Don't look, make eye contact. When you don't make eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. Like they want, if you're looking at them, they don't like that. They don't like that. If they make eye contact and they can like, yeah, you, you're your in a stare down, touch a little bit. No, you don't like that. Yeah. It's funny how you can get away with, I mean, that if you just don't look at them and they can't necessarily get a full, uh, you know, they can't smell you, you can get away with it. I mean, they'll, mm-hmm. they don't trust their eyes nearly as much as they trust their nose. I mean, that's, that's for sure. That's the like epitome of like a successful bow hunt. Like there are plenty of, hunts where it's like man that buck worked in he had no freaking idea i was there mm-hmm. there's also the other end of where he knows i was there mm-hmm. and i i just he i made him calm again or i just deceived him enough that i wasn't a yeah. threat you know and then there's they the, will tolerate yeah. it to get close to what they're you know what they're after whether it's a doe or a, a you know like a corn pile mm-hmm. essentially of you know a really attractive food source they'll even yeah. if they smell you and see you, in some cases, like, they want it bad enough that they'll test the limit. I mean, that's the Eric killed in Illinois this year. He knew I was there. I mean, he, he blew at me. He 100% knew I was there, and before leaving that field, he took one look back because he wasn't sure, and that was it. That's all it took. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, there was a deer I killed here a few years ago um, that was locked on a doe. That buck saw me, had circled me twice, full circles, that doe was underneath me. She was oblivious, and he was he 
he committed suicide essentially. He knew yeah. that he that I was there and I was going to kill him and he she still was worth the risk. He still tried to get through and she yeah. Was worth the risk. 12 yeah. yards broadside ain't going to learn from it. his mistake, Nick. Yeah. So <laughs> we, like, all, we all could. I mean, they they it's it's almost a weird thing cuz I've so like I'm almost admiring how how alert and attentive they are to things in the woods. It's like it's their bedroom like and you're in it and they're like Wait a minute, that dude's not supposed to be there. But to like tolerate it to the point where it's like, I'm going to kill this deer and he knows I'm here. It's just, it's a weird feeling. You, you guys probably know this already, but I just looked it up. Um, deer can hear and smell up to a half mile away. Wow. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Half mile. Yeah. I was going to say you can hear further than that. Mm, I don't know. It's a, well, at first I looked up. I mean, smell. yeah, like a gunshot, I'm sure yeah. they could. But, like, yeah. if I'm walking in the leaves a half mile away, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, they said uh, three to 400 yards. Wow. I mean, yeah. I White tails audible frequency range. I want to say their hearing is slightly better than ours. Oh, I bet it's way better than ours. Way better? Yeah. That, like, positioning of the ears and turning the... It's to, directional. And yeah. they have more of a... I, would, I bet it's way better than ours. More of a sound mitt, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. this, the sense of smell, uh, I mean, because I think their olfactory is better than a dog's. Um, mm, is half, it? Half a mile is nuts. I'll yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's not that far. It's like shark blood in the water. I could hear half a mile. Can't smell. Unless, no, no, I can't smell anything. Unless it's like McDonald's on a, Got that on a Kansas nose. morning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It It's... It's a weird thing when you start to in it. Wow, I do think it's very individual based. Um, I've I had a deer in our research facility in Mississippi that was deaf. Whoa! And I didn't re, you like you don't know right? I mean, like, you don't know that the deer's deaf, right? Yeah, yeah. What? Like you didn't know? Like just seeing the deer walk around, like yeah, you know. Was he receiving death threats? Uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> but I remember like he was in the corner of like the pen and it's a, it's a two or three acre facility, right? Pen. And like, we're driving up on the four wheeler and like, he's not moving. I'm like, I'm like, this thing's dead, which we had all the time. Like he, they'd run into the fence, break their neck or whatever. And like, we're like 10 yards away from this thing. And I was like, I was like, I think it's sleeping. And I like was yelling at it and nothing. And then like three seconds later, it opened its eyes and like shit itself. Like, I mean, freaked out, but it, it, I was like, that's your staff. That's crazy. Been here. Oh, it definitely happened. I mean, dude, it's a rough life for deer. I mean, it, I think a lot of them are half blind. I mean, well, you can think about you see the amount. Think of about deer. if we fought each other with these on our yeah. heads. Like half of us would be blind. You see it. I mean, whether it's you know, most of the time you might not see it until the reflection at night from a yeah. camera, and then you're like, that deer's blind in that eye. There's no reflection. Uh, what's his face? Um, floppy was almost certainly deaf in that ear <laughs> yeah that thing was caked it was com you remember the pus it yeah like it was in fact it was yeah nasty terrible yeah, yeah there's no way he was hearing out of that thing. yeah one of those deer was blind in an eye too i don't remember which one i don't either but one of them was on the picture. probably him yeah, it might have been so yeah i mean you i can't wait to send those teeth in yeah so that's that's the kind of stuff when you start to look at these deer and especially now like man the some of these deer look rough. I mean, it's mid-February. They've gone through the rut. They're in the toughest part of winter with, like, no food. They look raggedy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they just, they they look rough at this point. Yeah. just takes time to come back from that, too. I mean, it's, 
that's why I feel good about having that grain source for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got a lot of, uh, uh, rye and like yep. clo- good food and like yeah, good fact, cover and bring up rye. I went into one of the, um, one of the brassica plots I did. I did put some rye in there and it, I did that on it's online. like three or four inches right now. Like it started to grow back with that warmer weather last yeah, week. That rye is, that's a, that's a staple. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should have some, some cereal rye in their, mm-hmm. in their stuff. Yep. Yep. Same with, or winter wheat that'll also come back either one of those oats i don't think will mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i think when you start to look at the like the full picture you know on a property and it just depends like i mean you know even if it's a piece of public ground i mean the fact is is like there's a main food source on that ground somebody made a comment the other day and they're like there's no focus f- food source for like deer and i forget where it was big big woods axe and it's like no there is mm. like it's either acorn or it's at this year, part of the year it's browse well yeah i mean maybe his point was it's not like a destination and i would agree that's what makes it difficult to hunt to a point i think there still is a there has to be some reliability set up on a food source that deer is just not going to walk aimlessly for miles and miles munching no they're gonna stay in an area and they're going to have some sort of cycle or loop in that area to browse on so and i would assume they're going to set up whether it's a old clear cut or a, just a standard opening or whatever it might be, they're going to shift to set up relatively close to something that is predominantly providing food. They still may browse and feed all over the place, but there's, there is a center point at some, at, I would say in their home range. Agreed. I mean, I think it's like a, uh, th- they've got, you know, what do you want to call it? They, they've got, uh, op- options or, yep. you know, just, just like we do where we're like, uh, you know, hey, I've got, you know, during a hunting season, I'm like, hey, you know, I've got one farm that's really good, and mm-hmm. I'm, that's going to be, like, my bedding area, essentially. But there's other places I'm going to go and check out. Like, if that happens to dry up, I'm going to go here, yeah. here, and here and see what's going on. And, like, I'm sure they do the same thing. I bet on the wintertime, though, those, not nearly as much. They're trying to marry themselves to something that's going to be stable if, for, the, if for a If they while. have that option, I agree. That's yeah. where, like, a destination grain source is highly valuable. But if they don't, if they can't find that, especially in, like, mm-hmm. a big wood setting— same thing. They're going to be like, okay, yep. where are my honey locust pods at? Where yep. are my, you know, where are these clear yep. cuts? Where's my browse at? Where's, yeah. you know, which of these neighbors is feeding? Well, and that, I was going to say, that's, I think, a big piece of it is like you think about, especially in, you know, September, October, November, December, there's a lot of people feeding that the moment January comes, they shut down. That changes the that deer's behavior dramatically. That food source is not there anymore. You stop feeding. So they're going to shift. They're going to move out of an area. They're going to change what their home core area looks like because, you know, that reliable source got cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we see that, I think, in a, in a lot of places. When some of these deer disappear and they shift, it's kind of like, man, I don't understand it. Well, it's like when your neighbor was feeding, whatever, five tons a week of protein, and then the season ended and they stopped. Yeah, man, it's they're they know how to survive. Like you know, very few of our deer die of starvation. Like yeah, I just here. don't think it happens. And if we knew everything, like if we knew where these deer were going and how were they were shifting, it would probably make a ton of sense. You know, because it's like mm. you know, of course they are. Like here's you know, here's this food source over here, or here's you know, it's it's adjacent to you know this this bedding area where they feel safe and stuff. And it's not. You know, it seems to us, because we have such limited information, like we're only in the woods a certain amount of days a year, and we can only run so many trail cameras, and they're only so effective. Mm -hmm. If you were able to, like, truly track a deer during the season... Yeah, it'd make a lot of sense. 
and I don't know that it could be done perfectly because it's it's done in hindsight a lot of times. But if you could go back and literally go to those places that the deer went and understand why they went there, you say, okay, yeah, th- this mm-hmm. area was dropping a lot of oaks this period of time. This mm-hmm. area is really secluded. Of course, you know, he was bedding here. Yep. And so on and so forth. And you could fully understand, like, a season in the life of, of a buck, what he's looking for, what he's doing, why, why he is where he is. Yeah. I think the... Um I looked in uh, in Illinois. You saw down in Honey Hole and on that pinch of pinch. There's two giant doe groups. There are mm-hmm. like eight to ten does in each of those. They're on groups. the food sources. Yeah, on out. those food sources, bedded you right see next them to them. Flooding, flooding that alfalfa it. right there. Yep, yep, and and rye that's coming up. Rye in there too. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, those are the things that you look at, and it's like, uh, to be honest, I don't. We've not seen that many deer in those places all season mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden it's like boom that's where they're at they're holding tight to there those deer will eventually disperse when green up comes um so that that's where that mystique of like where where are these deer going are they dead like especially this time of year it's like i've got three like three bucks that i'm thinking about in kentucky that i'm like man i haven't seen these deer in a month or two like are they dead did they shift like you know i don't know I don't know. And I won't know until probably August of next year to see if they show back up or not. Mm-hmm. They will too, man. I mean, I've got deer, you know, during the sea, like in October that will shift mm-hmm. and not necessarily like for good. Like it's like, you know, I'll see them come th- from three miles away, yeah. three to five miles away. I'm like, there he is, you know, and that's why through neighbors or other access and stuff that I've got. Yeah. They'll, they'll move. And it's yeah, hard, I don't know where this hard to know why. It's I like, mean, he, he was there essentially all of, all of September, most of October, uh, August, all of September, and then I lost him around the first or second week of October, mm-hmm. and he showed back up the second week of December. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Oh, dude, it's almost fall. You and I are both going to be in a tree stand with brand new Hoyt bows. We're going to be shooting the RX-7 carbon bow this year. I know Hoyt's also got the Venoms out, both equally smooth shooting, quiet bows. Heck yeah, man. We got a convert on our hands this year. We got a lifelong crossbow guy with a vertical bow in his hands for maybe the first time ever, a good friend of mine. And uh, we've got them all decked out with uh, the inline accessories uh, from the QAD integrated ultra rest uh, to the quiver. And also he's got the SL sidebar mount with a couple of stabilizers from Hoyt as well. So that's going to be a sick shooting bow. Yeah. And Hoyt's been cool enough that anyone listening to this can save 20% on any of the soft good apparels online using the code Hunter, H-U-N-T-R, no E. Uh, and if you want to look at the latest lineup of Hoyt bows, check out your local Hoyt dealer. Get serious, get Hoyt. It's hard to know, man. I think, you know, even if you talk to like, you know, talk, you know, call them your top deer managers, guys who are known for, mm-hmm. you know, your juries, your Likoskis for, you know, uh, even Beaumar, right? For building an environment where it's like, why would why they would ever they leave? leave? Yeah. And yet... They still leave. They do. Yeah. They do. And even these year I'm talking about, like, three to five miles away, it's like, you, you know, it's, it can't be because there was no food, cover, water, or does from between here and there. There was just something in them that was like, <clears throat> I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to that area. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. just do it. Whether they stay there or they get killed. And that's where it's like, I, there's a lot of questions coming in this time of the year through, like, especially our Instagram and stuff that are like, you know, what do I do on this property? Like these deer are leaving or, or, you know, and it's, it goes back to like our corn discussion earlier. It's like, man, I don't regret planting corn last year, but it did not benefit me during the season at all. In my opinion. Um, in fact, there were periods of time where it was like, man, there weren't like any deer on my property. 
Um, and so in, in kind of learning more and, and looking at the observations in that County, like I think we talked, um, you know, there was only like 150 bucks killed in that County all season, 150. Yeah. Like in that, as comparison to some of these other counties in Kentucky killing 2000, um, like a significant difference. So I need to build that herd up, which, uh, is going to lead me to planting a lot of beans this year. Um, to try to be influential in that summertime to build that herd up and, and continue to provide. And obviously, those beans have great value here in this late season too, uh, and even after the season. But I think if you, if I looked at why I planted corn, I planted corn because I'm like, well, November, December, like that's a that's when I'm going to hunt that. That's where these deer are going to really hang tight to that. They didn't. They didn't do it. Um, and so, you know, even like our Illinois piece, um, we had a bunch of mature bucks, but we would be both lying if we didn't say that the quality of deer that we thought were going to be there didn't really show this year. Mm-hmm. Um, next year, that rotation will be thousands and thousands of acres of beans around <laughs> us instead of corn. And I mean, talking to people in the area, they're like, yeah, you may have a whole different group of bucks that show up. Like it just shifts completely because of the crop rotations. So dramatic. Yeah. Those are the things that it's, it's hard to predict. So, I mean, you can only do so much. Yeah. Timber stand improvement awesome having food plots great like but there's there's only certain things that you can control and deer movement and where they go is not one of them well i mean you can influence it but you can you will influence yeah essentially what you're saying is or how i'm hearing it anyways is deer are still going to do they're going to do what what they want to do do. yeah i mean they they have their own personalities they've got their own agendas and stuff i think there are some cases where it's like if resources are plentiful like they'll do whatever they want essentially mm-hmm. like you know this past year like one possible scenario is like they may have understood that there's acorns everywhere yeah and they're like you know it's cool that there's cornfields here i'll pop in and check that out or whatever but there's acorns everywhere but i'm just gonna get up and go where i want to go because mm-hmm. i know there's areas that i can bed and there's you know yep. places to see you know things to do well it's it's wild because like this this eight point this is a home body deer that deer from the moment i started running cameras in july i had that deer on camera and i've had him on camera ever since he's not, i mean i'm sure he's left my property but he's been on my property the entire time all year mm-hmm. um there are plenty of other deer that are not anywhere close to that agreed well i guess that's kind of in part what i'm saying is like i think once you have all that stuff like you can do everything that you know that you can to provide security a safe mm-hmm. place you know food cover all that stuff you still have to there's, it's going to be situational, like this deer just happens to have been whatever, the dominant deer, or like yep. t- t- he fell into that area. It's just where he resides. And that can just change from sure. time to time. It's like Then you have to get lucky to get, you know, a, a, a genetically superior, you know, high-scoring deer. And that requires management of growing age classes of younger, yep. or, uh, growing age classes of lower-scoring deer. So like this past year in Illinois, we acknowledged that like, hey, there's, that we had a nice scoring three-year-old, but we weren't going to hunt him and a mm-hmm. nice scoring four-year-old. We weren't going to hunt him. We had at least four, four or, or five, five yeah. like old, old or age class, you know, low scoring deer, like in the thirties. And we targeted them mm-hmm. in an effort to like make space essentially for mm-hmm. those younger deer and other, you know, yeah. other deer that may, may fill the gap there. Yep. There's definitely an element of that too. I mean, do most, most deer aren't high scoring, right? Yeah. You know, they're going to be average, it's an eight point, 130, Scoring. 140 inch deer at maturity. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think we were encouraged by the age class that we mm-hmm. saw on there. Despite yeah, deer could get old, despite their antler mm-hmm. size. Yep. So I mean, it's th- this year will be interesting. I'm excited. Well, to see. yeah, and I think that's a big point because, like in Kentucky, we talked about this morning, we had a uh, that area had a massive EHD outbreak in 19. So like this year was really the first year that these deer could potentially reach five years old. You know, mm-hmm. because a bunch of them died. You know, wiped a, wiped a slate clean. You know, I know Iowa's dealing with that this year. So it's like, man, there's there's areas that, you know, sure, there are mature bucks that are going to be around because they didn't kill all of them, but they're, it will be void of a lot of these deer as well. You said Iowa, and now my brain's like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, going, we're going to Iowa this year. I think everybody knows that. So I Hopefully, right? We, <laughs> I mean, hopefully... We have to draw. We can draw, so we got five points. We're, I think... I've, ha- I've heard more and more horror, horror stories, unfortunately, of six points. Well, so we're looking at, uh, you know, zone four, I guess, uh-huh. as opposed to zone five, which I think is slightly higher odds. Okay. So, and that's just, it comes down to uh, where we're potentially yeah, going to have access. access. So, which is, you know, transparently, mainly permission, you yep. know, just from some friends that we've met. And there there are some leases that we're kind of considering too. So, um, our plan is to head out there uh, at the end of this month, mm-hmm. so like the 28th and 29th of February and get boots on the ground. And some. so, uh, dude, I don't. I mean, I've been in Iowa, and I've driven. I've driven through Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I, I haven't had boots on the ground on, you know, ground that I could potentially hunt since I was like a young kid. There was some ground that uh, my my grandpa used to own. Mm-hmm. Some ground. Yeah. I, it wasn't. I don't recall it being like. I don't think it was South Central Iowa. Or sure. Anything. I think it was probably like somewhere else. But yeah. This will be like our first dose of it. After you know how many guys have we talked to? Spent a lot of time on Bill Winky's farm, but I couldn't hunt it. <laughs> yeah, so you've been out there. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that was just kind of a sick joke. Yeah, you couldn't hunt it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of a sick joke. I think I picked up a couple good sheds off his farm. I could shed hunt it. Yep. Um, but yeah, other than that. Did he let you keep them? Uh, Did you see Easton and Warren put out? I, th- I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, appropriate. Like talking yeah. about shed hunting etiquette. Huh. As far as like, you know, hey, if I let you come shed hunt my farm. Yep. Who keep, who keeps the antler and and how do you like do you run to you know if you both see one at the same time? Yeah, it's weird because I don't like I get excited when I see a shed, but I'm not like over I'm not like shed crazy. Mm-hmm. So like I'm excited I found one and it's cool. Uh, I if the deer is like like that two potential two year old like that's a meaningful shed because it's like man that deer could be special like I'm falling. But if I'm walking in like when we're in Kansas like I love finding big sheds, but if it's just like a random property and we're like i, I don't know who this deer is i well, yeah it's it's just like killing it here i mean it, it, you, the excitement comes down to like level of attachment probably mm, or history yeah. that, so when i found tight rack yep. you know granted, awesome. it's not like i had dedicated my life to this year but he, he was one of the primary targets so i was yep. really excited when yep. i found it yeah this spider-man buck was awesome because we had seen do you that remember deer? when we found pretty boy dude i mean yep. that was i might as well have killed the thing it was I huge was, well, yeah. I, yeah it was a like hundred hundred yards from this deer I know that's that's wild, you know. So yeah, it's it's those are cool deer. Um, you know, even like that massive set of of Kansas sheds, the eaten up ones, was cool. But it was like we had no attachment to that deer. Like it was, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of imagination that had to go into that one just because he's missed, sure. he's lost so much. Yeah. yeah. When I found Wide Boy's shed, was awesome. Yeah. Because I'm like, holy shit, this deer lived. You put an arrow in that deer. I put an arrow in that deer. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I mean it's it's the level of so going back Do you to the put him on thing. A, on rack up? We got we got to figure out which one of these we're gonna mount a few oh, yeah. in the office here. We got to figure out which ones yeah. worthy. Yeah, the the white whale old sheds are cool too. Oh, definitely. Um, that that'll be your R two. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do wide boy. That'd yeah, be cool. but yeah, it's it's. I think it's that level of attachment. Yeah, like if I'm walking your farm and we found, I don't know, one of the bucks that you were after, I'd be like, yeah, dude, here, like you could keep mm-hmm. it because I don't. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I found them, but like sitting well, there and looking that at them. would be probably part of my stipulation. I'd be like, hey, <laughs> you're free to keep whatever. But if we find so and so, I you know, yeah, I'm, I'm interested them. in finding those deer. Yeah, like I'm usually I'm using you for your eyes. I basically. would say though, <laughs> if you're on like if you're on public or permission walk, it's open season. Then. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you find it and keep it, sure. That's yeah, finders keepers. Yeah, yeah, in yeah that yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think I think the etiquette of walking somebody else's farm and finding one is like. If there's some sort of attachment to it, like if it's a whatever, a one-year-old three-point, like I don't care if you want to keep it. Like I, th- I yeah. gave my dog a spike yesterday. Like here you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. My dogs got through him too. Yeah, I mean, there's it's interesting because it's like y- you want people to come out and be able mm-hmm. to keep what they found. I mean, that's yeah. Why, why are they why are they walking otherwise? Right. It's like oh, that's nice. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of funny how you play it. I mean, even this one, I found it. It was on Jed's property, and I was walking it by myself. But there yeah. was like a there was a discussion. Yeah, you guys were both hunting that deer potentially. There was a discussion too that day around like, you know, he was at church or whatever, and I was like, "It's gonna rain." I was like, "Can I? You care if I go out first? Because like, I'm probably gonna find it." Yeah, and that's he, an interesting. And thing. he knew, right? So he gave me permission, mm-hmm. knowing that I would probably. Find, and we didn't discuss like, "Hey, if I find it, can I keep it?" It's just more of a. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm always going to default to the landowner, even though I felt like, hey, I, yeah. I found it. Well, even us, like we share an Illinois farm, like really it's depending that, on the landowner. That right? one eight points, like the only one that's probably like super intriguing for us to find Who's this? on our Illinois place. Yeah. That big eight point, that four year old or whatever yeah. this year. But like other than that, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't well, feel we, any attachment. Kind of like half of them are laying here. Yeah. And they, you have one at home. Didn't you read? We found some recently or last year that you ended up taking home. You oh oh is from, oh from the barn of our new place there yeah that eight point yeah, yeah which mm-hmm. yeah which is either over here or somewhere yeah 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 I guess it's you know just it's just like hunting you know shed hunt with people that you are like I think it's I'd the be just happy for you to have it at your place then yeah I think it's the meaningful aspect of the deer like it's cool to find a who big it, yeah shed. who would it mean more to and then it comes down to is the other person willing to acknowledge yeah. that and give it up yeah I mean if you guys are out there looking for you know half of a 200 inch deer like somebody that's more meaningful it to somebody. should be discussed up front if you're looking for a 200 inch deer yeah yeah we we everybody goes out looking for it knowing who's gonna end up keeping the antler yeah I think yeah has to be has unless to be you stumble on already. it you know and then you're like we had no idea this year was how found was 200 well yeah and that, I think that's the point like uh, I knew I was Rock looking for one of these, the one I was in a trail camera picture, but the other one, like I knew I was looking for that deer. And so when I found it, it was like, cool, that's one I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Like other than that, everything else was gravy. You know, I didn't, I didn't care what we found. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's probably where it comes out. Now there are people and I don't hold them. Like, I don't think badly or poorly about them. They're like, they're shed, shed hungry, like all the time. You know, Kev's one of them. That dude will walk a ton of ground and Slice I don't throw yeah, your throat. yeah. <laughs> I don't think he like it, it's weird because it's not like he has a sentimental attachment to the deer as much as it is the quality of the antler and the find of the antler that he's attached to, um, which is cool. You know, I mean, there, there's not much better than walking in a, um, you know, a big open field and finding a big shed. I think uh, Carter was like 
five or six. We were living in Missouri at the time. It was like a nice March day, and I was like, eh, like let's just go. We'll go walk for shads. We're bored or whatever. So we went out to one of the places that I hunted, and like unbeknownst to me, they, they had just burned. Like it was still smoldering in places. And I remember walking out there, and again, like my shed hunting skills are weak. Like I find it's a needle in the haystack. You know, if I find what I found this year is like the most I've found on like properties no, I access. Very little skill involved. It's just yeah, access. I just usually don't have properties with food late season, so there's no deer on them. Yeah, and so this was on That's um, a major influencer. Yeah, so this was on a conservation area in, in Missouri, and um, we were walking out, and I remember looking, and I'm like holy shit there's there's a shed like right there like right off into what would have been like super thick but they just burned it and so like he went over and found it and walked up to that one and i'm like there's another one there's a, we found like five or six in a matter of like 20 minutes uh including one like pretty substantial uh four point side that was like probably a year or two old just had been like buried into the weeds and it's like you know it just those are the things that like ultimately there is, I think, a strategy about it. Like, obviously, number one, the deer have to be there. Like, if you have food or you're near food sources, you're more likely going to find them. And then, like, it's really just, like, I was telling... That's the uh, biggest factor in my Like, opinion. Harlan found that one because I was like, dude, here's a big trail. I could see a rub line out in front of him. And I was like, we're just going to walk this top. I'll be 20 yards up this way and just, just walk. And he was walking on the trail, and there it was, like, laying off the side. Interesting. I very rarely find them on trails. Yeah. I find them way more frequently, uh, you know, I'll find, you'll find, I'll find them in food sources. Yeah. I find a lot of them next to beds. Mm. I find like, you know, on, on knobs, oh, yeah. knobs and ridges. I mean, just cause that's where they are. I think, sure. I don't think they shed in the bed a lot, but I think they'll, they'll stand up and they're just adjusting themselves. And yeah, yeah and shake. Just, at a certain point, it's like a loose tooth, right? Yeah, they it probably pops off them a little bit. They're like, oh, it's kind yeah. of wobbly. And then boom, pops off. Yeah. Pop it. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I don't have enough food sources, I think, to find like that one I did find in, in a plot, but like I just, there's not enough fields. That new farm will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird because. Well, even this year, I mean, I'll tell you, I, yeah, I'll, you're, you I'll, didn't find that on a food source, right? This guy. That was back in, right? Yep. He was going back to a bed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I say I don't find them on trails. He was on some sort of sure. trail, but it was littered with sign. I mean, I couldn't believe, like, clearly he'd been using that frequently. There's a mm-hmm. transition area there between a standing cornfield and a bed mm-hmm. that was back, or whatever, series of beds, yeah. network of, he was going back into the timber, basically. But, uh, like, so on our farm, where I have the big grain field, like, my prediction is that I'll find one or two in that bean field, probably, but I bet that I'll find way more i mean i don't know six eight ten of them mm-hmm. in the surrounding timber mm-hmm. like so i know how they're accessing mm-hmm. some of them may be on trails and stuff but most of them are going to be near where the those bedding areas are probably yeah. like somewhere between there and the and the food source hmm. interesting yeah it's well and i think that's probably where my struggle comes in is like being most of the properties i have are big woods like it's a needle in the haystack i'm just walking big ridges and like mm-hmm. you just trip on them <laughs> like that's that's you know yeah. i don't know where they're going at this point of the year if they are going to like a des- a destination food source it's probably not on my property and i don't have access to it mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's kind of a weird thing when you start to think about strategy of fun because i mean everybody especially now with social media like i know a lot of guys that are shed hunting places like i'm hunting and they see these guys in iowa just driving around on four-wheeler picking up 
15, 20 sheds, and it's like, geez, yeah, I wish, man. Yeah. Well, when you find them, you're like, that was easy. It's like, it's right there. Yeah. But, you know, you're like, well, I just walked 10 miles. and Like, that's what we did. We walked 10 miles. Yeah. And then within 40 yards of each other found this one and Pretty Boy, who I've yep. got mounted home to whatever. Which, 75 inch sheds. The hard part is there is like, I would assume we... We were in shed country. It's somebody walked it before us because we were on public yep. when we found this. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. That's that, a big one. Either they get picked up or you walk past them. Rendell was talking about that, which I, you know, uh, I take into consideration, but it's like, you know, when do you when do you shed hunt some of these public ground pieces when it's like, man, maybe it's only 70% still holding, 30% shed out, but if I don't go this weekend when it's 60 degrees, somebody else is going to walk the ones that are on the yeah, ground. Yeah, tough. I mean, the more the more closely you can monitor the deer, to, I mean, that I picked that up the day after a shed. Yep. Right? So, I mean, and I knew. Yep. So, the more closely, right, the more accurately you can know when, when to go. Yeah. But, I mean, for, you know, best bet, I mean, so, I like February 1st as a day for when I feel some of the bigger antler deer start mm-hmm. to drop. But this is the benefit of having cameras still running now because you're like, he shed. Definitely. Definitely. But I've still got, as you do too, a lot, you know, 50, 60 per, you know, or more percent of them holding. So as just like a catch all, I would say, you know, f- first week of March you know, 80% of them are going to be off probably. That's where I think it comes back to like, I would assume most of us who have like leased or private land that we own, whatever it is, like we're targeting a deer to drop. And when that deer drops, then I think you just go after it. You go get it from a public standpoint. I mean, it's about covering ground and this is where it comes back to. And I, you know, it's not necessarily a distaste, but it's like, you're, you're competing against other people, not finding the, you know, not you just finding the shed. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Rack Hub. Well, dude, sheds are starting to hit the ground. Yeah, and although we usually don't find many of them, we've done pretty well this season so far. I would say for just, you know, a handful of walks, we've got a pile of sheds to show for it. For, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, if shed season would end today, I think it was pretty successful. So this year, we're partnering with Rack Hub. It's an antler mounting system for your sheds. Yeah, and obviously, people have watched our podcast. We've got this massive pile of sheds that are on the table at all times. But you guys took the time to set up Wide Boy Shed on the R1, which is a really cool way to now have that thing right off to my left-hand side during the podcast. So some of these sheds just call for a little bit more appreciation, I guess. So rather than being up on a pile on the table, you know, we're going to mount them on the wall, and, and they look awesome. So Yeah, and so if anybody wants to try Rack Hub, you can use a code HUNTER10, H-U-N-T. TR10 at rackhub.com to get 10% off your order. Use Rackhub to make the most of your shed season. Speaking of, you know, March 1st type of a time frame, like I'm hopeful that our trip to Iowa will produce some sheds. Uh, that's the perfect time. It's frame. possible that some of the stuff gets walked. Sure. You know, maybe before we get there, but yeah, I mean, that's the time frame. I, I, I personally, that first, first, 10 days of March is when I really love the shed hunt. Mm-hmm. If, if it's like a relatively undisturbed area, like if it's my property and hopefully nobody's trespassed, like that's when I would say 80% the of them are squirrels on the ground. Mice. I mean, you hate to get them chewed up. Yeah, that too. one's got, you know, it was on the ground for whatever, a month, and it's got some some chewing on it. Um, what was weird, though, is that one that Harlan picked up that's over a year old was, in fact, Emily and I were back and forth. I was like, I don't know. It almost looks like it was from this year. Grab that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> It's just about where they fall so in, a, in a field, n- not like that, not an, not a, not a nibble. Yeah, not a, not a neck on it, and like, I mean, bleached. And you gotta, well, yeah. How long did this lay out there? So we pick that up 
two years after I killed him, and we think that that was was either, it two years? I think so. What year did you kill? Twenty fourteen. Okay, so so twenty six. I think we picked that up in sixteen, right? Or seventeen? Ah, uh, no, it was the spring of seventeen, so it would have been two and a half years okay. after I killed him, and then so this was his twenty sixteen rack. No, that was his twenty thirteen rack or twelve. Yeah, you're right. We don't know. Like, yeah. Because, I mean, m- when I killed him, he was substantially bigger than that. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like, this antler is so chalky. And and they were laying side by side, like, somewhat under the grass. Like, just... Right over the fence jump. Yeah, he jumped the fence, and they fell off. Like that. Textbook Boom. Kansas find, you know. Like, I can't believe that no mice... I mean, squirrels make sense, because it was out in the middle of, like, grass. Yeah, but no mice got but in. mice, you would think, would have eaten this thing, like, down to a That's piece crazy. of chalk. Like... Yeah. But yeah, so that was either the year before I killed him or two years before I killed him. Very cool. Yeah, nuts. Very cool. That's can happen a lot. I mean, I'm sure it does happen. So that was like either guys his... finding sheds off of deer that they killed from prior years. Yeah. Like usually the sheds get eaten or, or they found them already that year. That's usually that was either his six or seven year old shed sheds. That's awesome. So yeah, I mean it it's you know, and there's, there is something cool about it. I mean, to me, it, it's, uh, it fills that gap that I'm like yearning for of like trying to write a closure to, to this past season and like, and then starting fresh at the same time. So it's like, great, found a shed, he made it through. And then on the flip side, it's like, now I'm already looking forward to next year. And what is he going to, what's he going to look like? Yeah. So it's, it's a cool time for him to be able to have that transition of like, make some closure on last year and really start to get excited for this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, especially if you're in the big woods, you, you can walk a lot of miles and not find shit. Yeah. Um, it's an evolution, man. I mean, it's, I mean, there's, it's like the pressure's on during the season, right? Cause like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you got limited time and that, that's, that's when you, that's when you hunt them basically. Yep. But you know, there is a, like a year to year, you know, and that's what a lot of us essentially build like a lifestyle around is like, man, these a two-year-old's can be, you know, a three-year-old next year. And, and it's like a, a constantly evolving, like, right. monitoring of deer that you're able to keep tabs on and trying to improve the habitat and stuff and, and your strategy, like, in, in the meantime. So, yeah, I, dude, I don't know. It's freaking, I said to you this morning, I was like, how freaking cool is, is just deer hunting? The fact that we can go out and find mm. stuff like this in the woods is like, uh, and then we get to hunt them. It's an odds. You know, and yeah. there's always, there's another one ahead of us. Yeah. Um tie in but but quick changes i don't know if you saw it yesterday but i posted is um so they're putting in those new plots this week on the ohio farm Uh so we're almost done with cutting i would say we probably got another two weeks maybe at the most left in in terms of timber cut and um by monday or tuesday they'll be done putting in the new plots which will add about almost five acres of food plots to that ohio farm in some pretty strategic places so I'll go in and frosty clover. I just want to get something established, you know, clover and, and maybe put a little bit of, you know, winter wheat or something in it to, for erosion. But, um, I mean that, that farm's going to change completely, but I plan on shed hunting that sometime in the next two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's tough cause I don't have as many cameras running, nor have I seen, I've seen some bucks holding. I've seen some bucks shed out. They've found some sheds. So, I mean like they're, you know, I don't know what I'll run into out there. Um, but, you know, at least to get, it's kind of that spring checklist or, or late winter checklist. It's like, okay, shed hunt. I need to get some frost eating in, you know, check on some things, start to plan. We talked about like beans, like, man, we got to buy beans soon. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I guess I'm kind of at the cusp of like a major sh- shift mm-hmm. in the in the sense that uh, <clears throat> like our stru- my struggle at the home farm, as I've talked for years, is is cover because cover. we have so much open ground. A lot of it was old pasture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we put I, I don't know what it is, maybe pushing 300 acres into. Uh, row crop so yep. we leased it to a farmer in 2016 which man i can't believe that much time has passed already yeah it's crazy but the long-term intention with that what what short term was to you know add some value in, mm. in the form of food and, and cover and also um income right yep. so my parents make uh yeah you know some money off of off of the leasing for that now that that time has passed i'm like not reconsidering like hey we're still lacking especially in the November on time frame in cover and even early on. I mean, yeah, I, they may bed in the corn and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not as good as like, if you could imagine that amount of acreage put into like a, a CRP, CRP program or something yeah. like that. So like in Ohio, the farm bill's not been updated for years. <laughs> like it's, it's where it's like any year now they're going to move the contract forward so that it will cover. include those years. Yeah. So like uh, most CRP programs, if not all require that, uh, you know, the grounds they're bringing, under into contract had been previously ro- farmed row mm-hmm, crop mm-hmm. and in most cases that doesn't include pasture or right uh e- even hay i don't know it's it's, it's like a row crop yeah it's so they for want, erosion for erosion stuff. they want to take corn and soybeans out and yep. put you know something that's beneficial to the soil and to the uh, mm-hmm. assume there's a wildlife component to to back, back in so uh, we're at that point and mm-hmm. like the cutoff was like 2015 so if they move it at all yeah, you're you're qualified. I'll be qualified, and so then it's a matter of like working with those counties to understand what kind of seed bleds are are options for us, and what obviously what sort of compensation is going to be there to compete with with the leasing. Well, and I mean, we know at least from our Illinois experiences, like our CRP payment is pretty much what they were paying for crop lease. Like it was a wash. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll be the same in Ohio. So, in Ohio, ours actually just recently went up, and it's laughable compared to illinois but like they were making 75 bucks an acre mm-hmm. and i think the farmer just took the initiative like we didn't ask for it to bump that up this year to 80 dollars an acre mm-hmm. yeah so i would assume which across 300 acres is you know whatever that is five grand no it's twenty four thousand. the difference oh in terms of difference that's yeah. what i mean I so it was 20 total. previously yeah yeah so there you go so yeah i mean that and i, I think, think that's like that. that's yeah that's awesome and I would assume that the CRP contract would be close to that from an 80 I mean, and that's the, we've talked about this for your farm. It's like, well, hypothetically, let's just say that the CRP payment would be 80 bucks as well. Mm-hmm. How much do you take out? Yeah. Uh, How much do you take out of ag? I mean, probably all of it. Interesting. Because there's still, there's remaining, I mean, it, it, yeah. Because what benefit is the ag providing really? just summer yeah i mean your summer beans and then when it's corn like it's harvested and exactly october yeah so there's not a whole lot of value that translates to deer season like i don't mm-hmm. really care if they're there in the summer truthfully like there's lots of surrounding ag i think the question yeah so there's your question is like can you still sustain because we know you have too many deer as it is can you still well, we sus- did i shot a lot of them yeah <laughs> yeah can you still sustain the number of deer that you have with no ag on your property? That's a good question, especially when we're introducing a lot of cover. Absolutely. W- which to me translates to carrying capacity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how much do you take out 
and add, you know, convert to cover basically. And how, you know, what's, what food source is going to be required at, at that point. Yeah. Or can you strategically <clears throat> say, okay, if I have 300 acres, what if I take 280 of it and put it in CRP and then take 20 and add more food, like more food plot type food? To support. Yeah. Well, and then there's the question of what what, what amount of acreage is worth it to the sure. farmer, essentially. Yeah. You know, so is what is that number, and is it better for us just to plant 10-acre bean fields, you know, on our own dollar, basically? Because that's standing. cheaper than paying a farmer to, Agree. You to have them back, but less guarantee that it's going to pan out, too. So. Yeah, I don't know. You know, if we get to that point and there's like an offer, a fair offer on the table, certainly my opinion is that we should, a good percentage of it should go into CRP. I think that'll like drastically change mm -hmm. how the farm hunts and, mm -hmm. and our carrying capacity and stuff. Uh, food is frankly an afterthought because we have so much ability to influence yep. that and there will be remaining acreage and stuff. So we'll, we'll probably just do it strategically. Like mm -hmm. <clears throat> when you're going to put that much into cover, you may as well take that opportunity and maybe that's where we'll, you know, we'll, I, I may bring in an expert, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we'll get Sturgis or, you know, somebody yeah. give us an opinion on like, Hey, all of this is now going to be CRP. Where, what areas should we exclude from this as destination food sources so that we can, it's yeah. going to, it'll totally change the farm. It'll be, it'll be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. Cause well, and we talked about that, like when I opened up that food, cause again, I, I've got no open ground. It's all cover essentially. You know, the cost that goes into clearing those food plots with all that heavy equipment on the flip side, like if you plant 280 acres in CRP, like there's, a, you know, a cost to the mixture and some of that. And then there's also some fallow opportunities there, which aren't going to cost you anything. Yeah. So there's still a cost benefit, you know, type of, of look on that side of it. Yeah. And I don't know, people ask that all the time. They're like, well, would you buy a property that's more open or, or more timber. And it's like, huh, they both have their advantages and disadvantages for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like in my, in my timber country, now that I've opened up, you know, I'll have almost nine or 10 acres of food on that Ohio place. Like nobody's got that around me at all. Mm -hmm. Like that will be, I mean, I will have the most food plots. Well, yeah, you got to work with in the vicinity. What you got in the area. I mean, if it's an all timber area, yeah, you've got a huge opportunity to introduce food because everybody else is lacking in that. Correct. Mine is almost opposite. It's yeah. almost all ag. And so if I have the opportunity to introduce 300 acres of CRP, mm -hmm. I'm going to have all the carrying capacity. Which is what we did in Illinois. Like our farm yeah. was ag, went to CRP before we bought it. It is Got cut right before we start hunting. It. Yeah, but it, it in in theory, it is the unique. It's the outlier. I mean, that's what it really yeah. comes down to. Is you basically, regardless of what you have, you've got to figure out how to make it unique to the area in a beneficial way to a deer. So if it's all timber, you need to do TSI or you need to add food plots into it. Um, and that all is effort, cost, and money for sure. But that uniqueness is what's going to make that attractive to deer to come in. In your case, because it's a lot of open, it's adding cover. It's adding CRP into there. Yeah. That uniqueness in that area is what's going to make that property better. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at it on a macro scale. What is the area generally lacking? Mm -hmm. And how do I introduce it to my property to make it more attractive? Yeah. And I, I think, it, you know, we overthink and overanalyze a lot of stuff. That's as easy as it is, which is why, like, you know, there was a cost investment on my place. I made money on timber. So I was just reinvesting back into the property. And I was like, yeah, no brainer. Open those plots up. I still am of the belief that like timber doesn't, you know, 
has no benefit. To, to, I mean, there there is mass producing trees, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, mm-hmm. in you know, you want to have some stands for tree stands and stuff, and they do in some cases provide like some sort of structure, like you know, especially fallen sure. trees, but. I mean, dude, deer, deer live at this high. Six feet and down. Like, above that, it, it doesn't, unless it's dropping stuff to that level, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I still am pretty firmly of the opinion that, like, man, I would consider essentially clear-cutting a, mm-hmm. a, a farm. Like, you, you want to still have value, like a resale value. That's, you don't want to That's sh- what I was going to say. Yeah, because, I mean, even though to the deer hunter, to the manager, like, a clear-cut with position access and food plots is probably as deadly of a property as you can make from a resale value, the aesthetics of it are not great. Yeah. Um, more, it, than, more than life to deer hunt, I guess you sound Yeah. Like, well, and, and even, but not even that. Like, the fact is, is there are people that have a vision in their head of what their property should look like, and most of them don't look at it as a clear cut. Sure. Even if that is the better deer hunting property, and that's the reason they're buying it, they still don't want that aesthetic look. Well, um, there's just an element of, like, land ownership that's, like, you know, we had the same thing when we looked at some properties in Illinois. We want some meat on the bone from a financial standpoint. Sure. To, you know, make it a sound investment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a hard thing to Which look means at. more than one. So that's that's how you look at it. If you put all your eggs into like the, the deer basket and you say, I'm solely, the value is because of the deer that are here. You know, that's all your eggs, you know, ESG yep. hits or something. You're wiped out. There is no value. There is no value. For, X yeah. amount of years or whatever, but yeah. So that, that makes it a big, it was a lot of what Madison and I talked about when we harvested timber on there. It's like, we were pretty selective. I mean, we left a lot of 18 and 20 inch white oaks on that property. Not that we needed to, or that it's a great benefit to the deer, but from a resale value or a future timber harvest, it will be, mm-hmm. um, you know, now that their competition is removed around them, they should, you know, flourish a lot more. So yeah, it's, it's multiflora in that Ohio place. Yeah. Yeah, me too. A yep. ton. Yeah. It's a yep. problem because, like, I would consider cutting, I mean, uh, an aggressive, uh, whatever you would call it, like T- TSI, essentially, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, cutting down non-desirables. But, like, that sunlight getting to my forest floor is essentially just, like, opening up multiflora pockets. And I have a lot of it. Yeah, and, I mean, to a point, like, it's the same thing with a clear cut. Like, that multiflora is not a bad thing for deer. It's high in yeah, protein. But it, at a certain point. It I, chokes out a lot of it, stuff. It chokes their movement out. Yeah. Like, there's impenetrable areas where it's like, you know, think about you walking through. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, a dense multiflora. It's like, you know, green, green briar is one thing. You yeah. Know, multiflora is like a serious plant. Yeah. Like, that's, oh, yeah. That's the one to mess with. It's you know? gnarly. Yeah, I mean, so it's it that is the stuff that you have to look at of like what's going to come up and like you there know. is no such thing as managing that stuff either. Too people will tell you going and spot spraying and stuff like Can't I for sure will die of cancer someday because of all the uh you know well and you think stuff about I've like the, trying to kill out the bases of those things. I mean, some of those multiflora are like I mean, it's a freaking tree. Oh yeah, solid root system. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you if you cut it and hack and and like sprayed the top, that's about it. That's that's the best way to control it. Yes, and that's it's a stump kill. Not an easy task. It's not to a, get to you the can't stump. get into the stump. Right. Yeah, you almost need a, a machine to do it. Yeah, it's just not. I mean, that's the I stuff. Don't know. That, I don't know how to address that. So that uh, where that tornado came through on that Ohio place. That there's a lot of multiflora in that, but that's also one of those areas that I had them. They're putting about an acre and a half food plot there, so they're going to wipe out a bunch of it. Oh, okay. And it'll be like in the middle of that patch, basically. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough that thing, fire doesn't man. fire kill it either, right? No, 
No, I mean, it might top kill it a little bit, but I think that stuff's pretty damn resistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's got a substantial root system. So, yeah, I mean, it's that's the stuff that starts to come up. and is what it is. Well, it, and you got to pick and choose your battles, yeah. you know. That's, that's what it really comes down to. It's like, you know. I could have said, well, you know what? Don't don't clear those food plots. Like, I'll clear them myself. Three years from now, I'd be like, yeah, I got a half acre open. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So it, you, you can't just outpunt your coverage on your budget and stuff, too. But, you know, if you're looking at, like, I'm looking at that farm as I kind of washed it this year, right? I didn't, I didn't really hunt it. The deer were just so disturbed by the cutting and stuff. You know, next year is the first year that this farm is trying to take a 180 with timber cuts and new food and things like that. And so... You know, you just have to pick and choose your battles of what you can, what you can control and the movements you're going to make. And, and really it comes down to, you know, time and resources, yeah. you know, how much time and resources do you have? It's just like when we plant, you know, food plots, like, and you plant 15 or 20 acres of food plot, that's a lot of time and it's a lot of resources out of pocket. It is. It is. I think those, uh, the perennials are solid. I'm, yep. I'm really grateful like, and it's going to reward me here moving forward that I put a lot of clover in. Agree. Uh, like too. a lot, a lot of those smaller remote. T- to me, what clover offers is like uh, it's pretty foolproof. <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, I've had failures on it for sure, but it's uh, in terms of like there's a lot of there's upfront effort, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get it established and stuff. But but once it is, it's reliable and it's there. And I plant them in small. Yeah, because it can tolerate that browse. Because of the browse tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're in an area with a high deer density, so I, I need that. There's just nothing else I can plant Mm-mm. aside from, like, a cereal grain. And they'll look, I mean, like, right now, my mine look like carpet. Like, I mean, yeah. they, they destroyed them. Yeah. But, I mean, they'll come back fast. And in that early fall, especially September, October, into early November, I think those clover plots are deadly. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's nice too, because like I, I don't think you can really ever do it. I mean, from a seed standpoint, like I even if it's a solid, I may go back in and just like put more seed on nope. it and just you know and throughout the year, I'll just kind of keep a I keep a cedar with me and clover seed. And it's like if I happen to be going out and I just th- you know it could be midsummer, I'm like hey, clover pots looking all thin. I'll just throw some seed out yeah, there. Yeah, that's it. And then clethodim and butyrac when you need yeah. to, and that's it. That's it. I mean, it's it's an easy thing. In fact, I I'll be interested. I have one, two, three. I've got three plots of clover and alfalfa on that new Kentucky farm that looked really good in the fall, but should look really good this spring. Yeah, probably have some weed control and grass control in them this year. But other than that, like I'll I'll broadcast some uh, frost seed stuff in. You know, here the, in the only next problem month. is drought. You know, if guys are planting on knobs, that's why I put that alfalfa in. Alfalfa is a nice additive if you're like on a knob or something. Yeah, it's more drought tolerant. Mm-hmm. Deeper taproot on that. So, is that what that is? yeah, Deep or chicory, which I don't plant a lot of chicory. I don't do chicory because it's a, it's a weed as far as the uh, yeah. herbicides are concerned. Like a broadleaf is going to kill clethodim. Uh, forgive me. It's going to kill. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The butyrac. Yep. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a weed essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Butyrac will kill. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure butyrac will kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The alfalfa and clover is good with it. It looks nice. It does. It look when it's in there lettuce. and it's lush. Yeah. Twaxy though that yeah I mean a lot of people plan it and have good success it's got high protein really high protein in fact I just I haven't had the best of success with my deer plots in chicory like I just I think they rather would have clover and alfalfa if you can do I agree alfalfa is finicky though like I'm not trying to get it for you know harvestable bushels it's just providing early season food for mm-hmm. those deer summer food um, a lot of yeah a lot of ways you can turn it man a lot of 
I mean, it's fun to mess with too. Like just over the years, I've had different food sources in different places and, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of figure out what works and browse tolerance will dictate a lot of what you plant there or how many deer you, you kill out of that area. Mm-hmm. I do think a destination food source is one of the most valuable things that you can add though. Like if, if you have the ability to have a big grain food source, I mean, it's mm-hmm. been soybeans for me. I told you earlier, mm-hmm. I'd consider adding corn to that. But for now, it, that's kept a lot of deer sure. there and alive and just in, in the area like that. They see that as like a, as a hub of movement, mm-hmm. you know, and then everything around it is, is improved. Yeah. So that's, that would be. Yeah. It's a big one, man. That'd be and a, it's tough. Like I said, in my area, like the biggest plot I'm going to have open Kentucky's a little different, but the biggest plot I'm going to have open in Ohio is two and a half acres. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I don't have a spot that I could clear 10 acres if I wanted to. Yeah. You know, it's hill Well, it is what it is then. I mean, it's, you know. I'm not saying that I won't try to put beans in there, but I bet they get pounded. Yep. And that's fine. I mean, if you can try it and then you can always save it. I mean, there's. Yeah. You know, food plots are, you know, opportunistic. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. shoot for best case scenario, but then have, have a plan B and C. And well, that's what I told you in that new farm in Kentucky. I'm going to go anywhere that I don't have the alfalfa and clover uh, or is just like a, a small plot type, you know, kill plot. I'm going to put beans in this year. And then judging by their success, I'll come in and turn areas to plant fall plots if I want. Mm-hmm. Um and that'll be it, you know, but at least, and well, that's again, the nice thing about your yeah. cereal grains is you don't necessarily have to turn it. No, just, if they crush those beans, it's going to just be open stocks. I would just hit it with herbicide yeah. and broadcast Straight before in. rain. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, and it's, it's tough because you just don't know. It's all trial and error. Like you don't know, you can think like, oh, this is going to work great in theory and it bombs out. Like I thought my corn would have pulled every deer in the freaking county into it in November and December and it was desolate. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... You know, it's just, in theory, it sounds good, but the reality is it, you know, some, whether it was acorns or there just aren't that many deer there or whatever, like it just didn't. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Sever. Well, one of the biggest things that we always talk about is what our arrow setups are. And this year we're shooting the Sever broadheads. I think we're both shooting the new two inch titanium broadhead. And so, you know, we're huge proponents of expandables. And I know we've had this argument back and forth with people, but we just- We're we, right and you're wrong. And that's, you just need to accept it. We just want to have a giant wound that pumps out blood. That's the bottom line. We build our arrow setups and shoot bows, you know, to maximize penetration. And we shoot broadheads that are going to give us the best blood trails, you know, the most hemorrhage possible. Uh, and so a part of those setups is we're also shooting the Eastern arrows here coming up pretty soon. So we've, yep. we've shot the victory in the past mm-hmm. and you know, there's all kind of great arrow shafts on the market, but like we're looking for a whole system from broadhead to arrow components to the arrow shaft itself. And uh, you know, the more we look at some of these Eastern shafts and the components that go with them, that setup's going to be really deadly for us. Yeah. I'm actually using the Eastern traditional axis right now uh, in my traditional setups for both my recurve and my longbow. I've got a hundred grain brass insert on this. Those, and then obviously I'm using a fixed blade broadhead on on those specific shafts. Right on. So, but yeah, our goal is always to be shooting the best broadhead that we think is going to be the most lethal for our setups. We've done plenty of research. We believe in the Sever broadheads, and we hope you would check them out at Sever Broadheads as well. But yeah, I'll uh, I'm gonna probably buy some clover i mean per, per that mm-hmm. you know uh, the, that's the only thing that's going to really frost seed this year so i'm going to look at I agree. what i currently have in the clover do a little bit of frost seed and mm-hmm. 
more more shed hunting than anything. I got a, I got a ten acre burn. We're gonna do that's a big one. That CRP thing probably won't happen until I mean maybe later this year if not if not next year they'll uh they'll update sure. that yeah but i assume you've got to get your farmer notice so i assume they're planting this year yeah so it won't be until 25 to you and make a change yeah yep yeah Sounds yeah right. probably so in the meantime yeah we're just going to continue addressing like some some open areas we have some other areas that are just getting hate and stuff and it's like th- there's nominal yeah. income that comes from that but it's like you know there's we could probably do better Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about adding some switchgrass in some places <clears throat> for some bedding, screening, you know, a little bit of both. I don't know. I have had that Johnson grass come up really thick in Kentucky last year, which sucked. So I just got to figure out a way to combat that a little bit, knowing that's probably going to happen. I'm going to turn uh, – last year, so almost everywhere I sprayed and I used that no-till drill that I bought for most of our stuff. Um, and like that corn, like the corn and beans, like I just didn't get it a good enough, like it's, that was tough soil. It's old pasture ground. It hasn't been turned in, I don't know how long. So I do plan this year, I'm going to turn everything mm-hmm. maybe in like April, um, uh, or early May and just turn everything over except for obviously my clover and alfalfa plots mm-hmm. and then come back and nuke whatever comes up after that turn and drill beans into that but it should be a much softer bed to drill into yeah which would get me better seed depth is what i was missing last year cool um and then yeah just see what happens i don't know i uh i also planted my rows and my beans too wide last year yeah i didn't have enough beans per acre i think could have yeah. gone a little heavier. Yeah. You, you have a much more precise drill than I have. So yeah. get a good from drill. the county. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's a big one is trying to figure that out. And um yeah, I don't know. It's uh I'd like to maybe do some chainsaw on here in March before I'm done. I just, I'm going to. This week this weekend I'm gonna yeah. run up and yeah, more like, more pockets on mm-hmm. like uh I just can't like you know, I've got a sixty acre timber track that I'd love to do a sweep and you know essentially clear cut it there's no valuable timber in it mm-hmm. um but i'll probably just end up like pocket cuts. on some knobs and stuff yeah just doing a couple selective clear cuts and stuff and mm-hmm. yeah just i don't just being out there dude i mean it's this time of year so much like especially you know during the but it's just we're just grinding i right? know so it's like we got you know get, get see you gotta pay the bills well, now it, like Two hours outside walking around, picking up sheds, and I was, like, refreshed. I'm like, okay, I feel better about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, especially here in the next couple of weeks, and um, we'll be at the Iowa Deer Classic as well mm-hmm. uh, for at least a day. I don't know. What is it? Like, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? We'll be there Friday uh, for sure, and then maybe part of Saturday, depending morning, on when Saturday we fly out. Too, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, dude, we got, uh, I'm excited about bows. So, we got some RX-8s coming, which mm-hmm. we're a little behind on that, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, got some eights coming and we're going to get those all outfitted with, uh, the new Easton arrow setups. Uh-huh. So I'm excited like next, you know, over the next uh, few weeks or months or whatever, we'll be kind of, uh, you know, putting that together, I guess, and starting to shoot. And, uh, we got our Tetra rise HHAs the other day yep, yep. that we're going to put on them. Yep. And we're going to head to, uh, hopefully I'd like to do TAC this year mm-hmm. um, in seven spring. So that's, I think June 1st. I think I invited to you. This yeah, morning. I saw something on come a, through on a calendar there. And that June time frame for Pennsylvania could go either way. It's either beautiful or it's miserable. Hot? No, like rainy and nasty cold. Like it's that sp- late yeah. spring. It has been historically. That attack event is historically like 
yeah, cold. It's kind of cold up there, and yeah. a little. Uh, yeah, it's still like fairly ah, we'll springy. Right. Yeah, it could be still fairly springy. You're right. Could be fine, but yeah, no, that'd be cool to go up to to tack and do some stuff up there. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, there's not. I mean, it really it's grinding day to day work jobs because. We don't do this for a living as much as people like to think that we, we do. They're like, they're like man, it'd be great to just like podcast once a week and like just hunt and yeah, I wish. What's that like? What we do once a week. Well, but yeah, in between is everything else. So like, you know, a lot of activity with our real estate yeah. business right now. Um, yeah. That's, you know, very, very hands on. We've got ice cream season is coming up. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon here. Yeah. A month away for you. We're right. Ready to, to ramp up with that. And yeah, dude, it's just the, just the grind of life. I mean, I'm excited to be in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and just spend some, some time out there. I mean, that's just, that's a treat, right? Mm-hmm. For, I mean, to, to go out and just, uh, yeah. Cause we're not gonna, we normally try to get to Kansas and shed hunt or shed hunt somewhere. And so that, well, you gotta have like, uh, something in the future to look forward to. So it's like, I'm, I'm fine just grinding right yep. now because I know that we've got Iowa on the forefront and we're going back to the Dakotas this year. And yep. like, you know, the little bit of time we get to find to put into projects on the farm are going to pay off for. You know, yeah. the, the next season. So it's always about the next one and kind of keep, you know, having some optimism and um, getting out in the meantime is, is what we try to do. But yeah, I mean, that's really, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, per our like need the vitamin D type of thing. It's get out and like walk. Like even if you're, you know, we were talking about you have 50%. I think in Kentucky, I still have like 70% holding. But man, if you get the time, take it, just go out and walk. Like I don't. I ultimately don't worry as much about like if I'm going to blow it or if I'm not going to find these sheds. Like it's just, it's good to get out and exercise and walk around and, you know, scout a little bit while you're doing it because you could think like, well, I'll just hold off and like life get life gets busy, man. And the next time you want to go out, it's pouring down rain or it's snowing again or whatever it is. So, you know, I think it's just opportunistic at this point. It's yeah. like, if you can get out and shed hunt, do it. You know, go out and you never know what you're going to trip. Well, and dude, in the meantime, too, like, you know, you guys will start to see we've been working, you know, with some really cool partners, which, Mm -hmm. you know, most of which we've been pretty transparent about. But excited to I mean, these are we talked about this for a couple of minutes here. It's like that is one of the bigger struggles like in. Yeah. In this position, like, you know, when you, when you you essentially you build a platform and stuff, it's like you you want to work with and, and promote products and companies that, you know. Uh, are, are valuable. Yeah. Like we want to share, we want to share value with people by, you know, showing them the products that we use and stuff. And there are some people at these companies that we really have strong relationships with stuff. And it's, so it's like, it's a whole organic process and it's, there is a, uh, it's a bit of love hate because you and I have seen the, the marketing side of the hunting industry and, and how that operates. And there's some distaste from it. Uh, and, yeah. and I say that lightly because like, we don't, we don't want to be that that group. Like we don't want. Well, to. We want to be careful of, you know, when there's money involved. Like yeah. it's there, it's easy to get blinded, or it's uh, you know, you're going to be biased, right, towards somebody who wants to pay you money. Like that's it's a very natural. You at least have to sound like you're biased. So yeah, there's a, there's a line to walk of where it's like we want to promote quality products and good partners that we genuinely believe in and it's not because of the mm-hmm. money but it, it has to make sense for us too you know if we're going to offer like commercial space and stuff on yep. uh, over top of the podcast we want it to be adding value not take not taking away from it yeah well it's easy to get on the list i mean we shot hoyt bows before hoyt bows was That's a part i mean that for us like, what does that mean it means working with and promoting companies yeah. that we are genuinely really excited about that offer yeah. really 
premium products. Yeah. You know, yeah, Hoyt, as you mentioned, is one of them. East, Easton and the Sever Broadheads mm-hmm. are uh, some that came on this past year. And Yeah, um, unique ones like TJ and, and Rack Hub and stuff. Like, there, there are other options out there, but, like, those guys make an awesome product, and clearly, like, th- that's what we like to think about at this time of year. The Guestos on top of that. So Lone Wolf Custom Gears is a partner this year moving forward. And, yeah. dude, some, all of those, frankly, are was, like, I, we, I, we couldn't be more excited about because it's, like, as careful as I want to be with sponsorships and partnerships and stuff like that. It's like, dude, I, I really believe in that stuff. We use it already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, deer grow has been there from the start. It's because I own part of the business. (laughs) Like it's just, that's just how it is. So like, you know, I think that when you start to look at those brands that we work with, like, it's going to be pretty clear (laughs) that like when we talk about them, it's because like, you know, we actually believe in them. Easton's a great, we've never hidden the fact that we shot victory for a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's because frankly, to a point, we didn't really know any different. We're like, yeah, Easton makes a great error. So does victory. And then it's like, oh, well this whole scene technology and understanding how that works. It's like, we didn't even know that was a thing until like, and so now learning about all these different pieces of it, it's like, and it doesn't mean that like, you know, victory is a bad error. They still make a good error. yeah, I mean, there's lot, there's lots of like products and companies in the space, and so um, I think for us, it's just kind of like an organic process of like it's also the people. What company? What products can we believe in? And, and yeah, who at these companies can we build a relationship with? And because that's why we're doing the podcast in the yeah. in the first place is to network with people and like uh, you know share share the passion. And so there are people in some of these companies that we we can identify with. We can really yes. find that in. Yeah. And, and oh, we, I think even bigger than that. Like there, there are companies that maybe we would like to work with, but there are people that maybe we don't want to work with, and sure. that that's a deal breaker for us. Sure. Um, so in, in almost all of our, you know, partnerships or or sponsorships, it's like it's both. There's there's products that we have probably already been using for a long time that we genuinely believe in, mm-hmm. and just so happen to strike a relationship with somebody in that company that is as passionate about this stuff as us. I mean, you can run yep. through the line of our partners and stuff. And every one of those has that situation where it's the best of both worlds. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the standard say. we set for ourselves, you know, yeah. when we're considering taking on a partner, does it, does it have both those things? Yep. And it's pretty easy and it, it makes it a lot more organic when we talk about it and, and talk about the use of, of those products. So yeah, I mean, it's uh it, it's a cool thing to, to be in this position to have those conversations. Um, you know, but ultimately like we, we just, enjoy just sitting here talking and, and having the discussions about things that we're passionate about. And, you know, people could listen to this one and thought, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not doing it that way or here's what I do. And it's, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. Like, I mean, that's, that's a discussion that we have. I, I, you know, I said this to a couple of guys, I was at great American outdoor show and ran into some people last week. And, um, you know, I, I, I heard the same, thing like two or three times and maybe they didn't mean it that way but i take it as like a huge compliment is um when they're listening to our podcast they'll say to their buddies like we're just talking about that and Mm -hmm. to me that's like that's the biggest like compliment that we can get in that like we're having the discussions that a lot of other people are it's just on a platform Mm -hmm. right and so to to hear that it's like okay well jared and i aren't crazy like we were they were talking about that too or these people were talking about it it's affirming you know we're having the discussion because it's how we feel not Mm -hmm. because we think it's what people want to hear so when people say that we're like 
Okay, good. We um, all feel the we're feeling the same way here. We're we're all circling this the same thing. Yeah, and there's definitely a sense of community that, that comes from that. As sometimes we feel like the industry is like we go to the trade shows and we're like, where is it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, those kind of comments are, uh, are yeah welcomed because it's like, man, okay, yes, yeah, so we're we're out, we're out there, right? We're not just sure. It, we don't just feel this way. There's there's a lot of people um, behind it, dude. There is a um, we'll have them on eventually, but like uh, we've talked before about this. Uh, you know, an organization to try to rally and, and address mm-hmm. the, the corn pile issue that we're having in Ohio. Um, and so that's, uh, Kevin Mullet is, mm-hmm. is the one that I know of. There may be other people like pursuing a similar goal, but um, the organization they started is, is Hunter's Advocate of Ohio. Yep. And it's, I chatted with him, uh, you know, a couple of days ago. It sounds like there are a lot of people interested in getting involved. Sure. Like he said, the response has been pretty overwhelming. So uh, anxious to hear more about that as it develops. You know, it's kind of a seasonal fr- from year to year. People tend to care about it mm-hmm. at a certain time and then they it kind of falls off. And then because it's yeah. when it's impacting you, it's like you're yeah, right in your it. face. Yeah, so, but that'll, that'll be something probably that will come up again in the future. And that that's an initiative that I really believe in. You know, I think it's something that is drastically affecting the state. It'll um, be interesting to see because it's, um, I don't know how much directly it's affecting the state versus indirectly. And meaning, you know, if, if I, um, if I can't put a corn pow out, Am I going to, is there, are there, there is many people leasing properties from, especially from a non-resident perspective? Um, I would say probably not. Same with Kansas. Like if you took away baiting, I would say more and more people wouldn't just lease property in Kansas because they're not going to see any deer if they don't bait. Like that's just, they don't have the setup to do it, to see them. Um, so it's, it's around this, it's spiraling around this like access thing, you know, and change. Like would an outfitter lease as much ground as at they would point, if they can't bait? At some point, who knows? I, I do think indirectly the conversation is having, it's, you know, it's like uh, some effect. I think ultimately CWD will become enough of an issue that the governor of Ohio, whoever it is at that Agreed. time, will go to the governing bodies We're and, on and essentially path. say, it's got to go. We yeah. gotta, We have to, you know. Yeah, I mean, selfishly to a point, like um, it'll shift a lot more value back to larger properties, parcels. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you own a 40 or 60 or an 80 acre parcel, I think it's going to be worth gold when these five to six to 10 acre parcels are not as relevant because you can't put bait on them. Right. And they can't do as much. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge swing on that side of it. I just at, at the end of the day, it's. It comes back just like we've talked about at Kansas a lot. Um, what's it do for the residents? Like that would be because I know a lot of residents have expressed concerns of like just how much the state has changed with non-residents leasing and stuff like that. I saw. Yeah, I see a lot of that. So stats <laughs> the other day it was like uh, Pennsylvania's number one, Michigan's number two. I don't know where it goes from well, there. But they're, the, the issues are tied together. They so, are. You know, because. The, I feel that those leasers wouldn't be as big of an issue for uh, the residents, mm-hmm. I guess, if they couldn't use corn piles. Correct. Yeah. I you mean, know what I mean? Because okay. that's, that's what the problem is. And most it's, of those leasers are not going to be able to go put food plots and stuff on. Yeah. Yep. There's a time, a barrier there. So I do think that it, you know, maybe it's not overnight, but I do think that it will relinquish properties back to the residents via people not leasing because they're not going to have nearly the success and or the, and la- the landowners would be a more accurate sure well no 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 i'm just saying like if you if your neighbor's property was leased from a non by a non-resident and they can't bait 
they're not going to be they're not going to be nearly as successful without baiting. Correct. And they may decide they're not it's not worth leasing that property anymore. I, well, what I'm saying though is like the the landowner is the one who's going to benefit, whether they are a resident <laughs> or a non-resident. Yeah, two point. Unless they're leasing their property, and then they might lose money. Well, in that case, they're not a landowner. Yeah, they are. If I lease my property, I'm a landowner. Oh, so okay. Walk that out for me. So if if I if I'm if leasing, you own a, if you I'm, own a hundred acres. Yeah, I'm capitalizing on my property by right? leasing, leasing it. it. And you take baiting away, and I, you know, they don't do food plots or anything else. They may stop leasing that property, so I would lose money. No, I don't think so. You don't think they'll stop leasing it? No, no. <laughs> When's when? How long has leasing been an issue in Ohio? Well, I mean, some people would argue that it's not. Right. Oh, I think it is. I mean, I I don't think to, that's an to argument. Piece, to some people, it is. I mean, it's just every like, piece of property is hunted in the state of Ohio. Hmm. Yep. It's either privately owned or leased. I it's become it's it's become more prominent ever since uh, I don't know early two thousands probably. Yeah, so over the last twenty years. I just I don't know how that would affect baiting. I don't. It, it it's same thing with cell cameras. Like if you can monitor that thing remotely, I don't think nearly as many people would lease ground or as much ground. I think they would. I I don't think that uh, it sounds scary to get rid of those things, but I it it will affect how those small parcels can be hunted. Yeah, they, that's, I mean, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you have a five acre parcel and you're leasing it now, like, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a, should be happening, mute. frankly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, well, you can, you can, yeah. if you want to lease it, fine, but yeah, it'll be interesting because I think the pushback will come of like, let's say, what if the residents are the ones who own the five to 10 acre tracks mm-hmm. and you take baiting away, you effectively make their property. Not as good. Not as, yeah, not as As a resident. And the non-residents are leasing everything and putting food plots in and stuff like that. Like you're, you're shifting the weight to the non-residents from a benefit standpoint, which I don't think is what you want. Potentially. Yeah. Dude, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's several variables that you could impact. I mean, if I would agree in some senses, like, you know, I think the landowner and the resident should both take priority over the non-resident and... How do you do that when it's seventy-seven percent of the license revenue, though? Uh, have residents pay for a tag? That's a no-brainer. No-brainer. Yeah, resident landowners don't pay for a tag. Yeah, these are all the factors I think that are on the table that are just it's it's a bit it's all over the place. But yeah, I mean the fact that seventy-seven percent of the revenue is coming from non-residents, it's not because we pay more. I mean we do, but it's not it's like that much. 70%. So it's because. All these people don't buy a tag. Yeah. Yeah, it's free. It's free. It's free. Stupidest thing ever. Well, well, yeah. I mean, if, okay, yeah, if money's the concern, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- that should be it at the end of the day. If you're looking at like a core value, yeah, you should prioritize the landowner and the resident. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm saying that as a non resident, non landowner. Yeah. I mean, you know, fair. Well, there's a lot of people that say, like, treat it like Kansas, which I'm not opposed to, which is basically make it more of a draw state for non residents. But in Kansas, if I own 80 acres, I automatically get a tag. Yeah, and yeah, and I don't know. Maybe there's some combination of that. It's a very different state from Kansas. But I don't think. Yeah, and I also don't think if you look. The at only the, similarity is that they're essentially over the counter, and that they're bait states. Yeah, bait other states. than that, are very different. Uh, yeah, layouts. Yeah, and I don't think. I mean, obviously, Ohio has a greater density than Kansas does from a hunting standpoint, but it's still not in. I think like the top seven or eight. Like it's. It's not as dense of hunters as you would think. Does that number include non-residents? Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Yeah. Minnesota. Well, that's why it's still one of the better states. Yeah. It's because there's not as many. So that's where it comes in. I think it's this, um, yeah, it's this like land gobble, basically. Like, it, you know, like I said, there's not a state or not a property in Ohio that's not getting on it. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy. Man, Jared, we probably have been using Muddy products for at least 10 years now. It's a long time, dude. It's been a long time. And I can remember when it was simply just safety harnesses and camera arms of all things. And, you know, that's evolved to where you and I both have a bunch of Muddy box blinds as well. I would say a bunch. But yeah, they've come a long way. And certainly the box blinds are, are huge. Shot that buck over your shoulder out of a Muddy box blind a couple years ago. The harness and, and all of the other safety accessories really are, are a major component of, of what Muddy offers for me. Um, you know, we've had some injuries in the past, you know, some, some tree stand accidents. This, this is all back before we were using, uh, you know, frankly, harnesses, mm-hmm. uh, the lineman's belt while we're hanging stuff, and the safe lines. I have those in every single one of, uh, you know, our fixed tree stands now. And uh, so we really have made safety a priority. Uh, that, that's a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, Muddy has everything we need for that. Yeah. And I think uh, the cool thing about Muddy is anyone listening to the Hunter podcast can save 20%. Using the code Hunter20, that's H U N T R 20. Uh, anything that you can see on the Muddy Outdoors store online, use that code, save yourself 20% for this hunting season. Go Muddy. The land gobble is going to continue to happen. I mean, that's just yeah. capitalism. It's And you have more people on sure. landscaping that landscape that's shrinking if anything I mean, you can't blame the resident landowner who owns 100 acres and somebody's gonna pay him 10 grand for it no you can't and that should be the right um you know but the state has the ability to influence things like like baiting yep. and like non-resident tags yep you know and if 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 changing those things is going to affect the state's income or, or whatever they can offset that with things like having landowner you know uh resident landowners pay for a license and see that's where i think that it falls apart because i would assume that most resident landowner most resident landowners will refuse to buy a tag and they'll go to their politician about it and they'll shut it down okay do you think um given given the uh, the option as a resident landowner of Mm -hmm. whatever any Mm -hmm. huntable track Mm -hmm. 10 20 acres Mm -hmm. or more to like either or if Mm -hmm. it's like hey resident restrictions or or baiting mm-hmm. i will almost or am i thinking about that wrong i i think most of them are going to opt to eliminate baiting in exchange for oh if they had to pay for their own tag for a free tag well so right now they're getting a free tag yeah yep and they get baiting right and you're saying if the option was on the table of we either get rid of baiting both we get rid of baiting and you ha- now have to pay for a tag yeah i think I think that most resident landowners would be fine with that. It'd have to be with in reason. You know what I mean? A, a, a Pennsylvania tag is what thirty bucks. I bet they bitch. Yeah, for thirty bucks they'll bitch. I mean, most people right now don't think they should buy a hunting license. Period. They they well, think I it's agree. A, a right. They don't need. I to agree, buy but a it's a give and take. Sure, but I'm just. I I think that you're. Yeah, if it's just, do you want to pay for a tag or not? Yeah, I don't want to pay for a tag. But if it's, do you want to pay for? Yeah, tag the baiting bump? the baiting one will be interesting because if you if they're I think you have to segment it. If anybody under 25 acres will absolutely say, if you take away baiting, you're going to ruin my hunting forever. Mm -hmm. Anybody over 25 acres, I don't think necessarily will have as big of an issue with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the parcel sizes are like from a breakdown standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the non-residents, or I would say 95% of the non-residents, will have an issue with baiting being taken away. No way. It's less than that. 
The it, non-residents? It may be more than 50%. No, of residents. No, I'm saying non-residents. 95% of non-residents will have an issue with Agreed. baiting tickets. And I'm saying they, they shouldn't have the priority. They should they not. being me. Yeah, the residents should have the priority. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if 50% of the resident hunters hunt tracks smaller than 25 acres, I think the baiting discussion loses. I think that the only reason they're on that is because all their non-residents are leasing the ground that they used to have access to. I would agree. Yep. Yeah. Mo- most agree. hunters that are residents of the state of Ohio prior to leasing had access to more than 25 acres. And probably didn't mate, bait as much because they, they just, didn't. they just hunted. That manifested like out of a situation where you have just such high competition you know, because you now have all which the, was industry driven. I would have to say it was in, outdoor television driven. driven. Yeah, and now you have all the now all the non-residents are leasing a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. there's just there's more competition on the yeah. landscape. So you default to tools that give you an advantage. Le- leasing has been a big. I mean, we've seen a ton of messages come in, and I don't have a right or wrong answer here. But like, you know, I'm obviously it's the United States, so I'm all for capitalism. And and you know, if you own a piece of property, you should be able to figure out how to make as much money as you want off of it. It's your asset; you do what you want. But leasing is absolutely ruined deer hunting in it's a, a lot really of places. It's a really intriguing conversation because I agree. Like landowner rights are remarkably important. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's why you bu- you buy land. But you know. It, anything that affects a public resource sure which deer are yeah and hunting does mm-hmm. leasing does yep should be regulated in some sort of way yeah i mean it's you know it's a fine line between i'm leasing my property for hunting and i'm an outfitter isn't it i mean yeah, i mean yeah it's a different like i think that's a super fine line they both make money off of a public resource yeah. using a piece yeah, of yeah. ground i mean the only difference is the uh yeah, exclusivity and, and the service that you're offering. I mean, there is a difference, but... Mm-hmm. Fine line but difference. But yeah, it puts people on the landscape, mm-hmm. no matter what. Do guides in Ohio have to have, like, certain licenses and outfitting licenses, do you know? I don't know. That seems like that would be a place to start. <laughs> what do you mean? From an outfitter program? They pay for a license for outfitter. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. I mean, Again, to your point, why if, would if they, we go... Yeah. Why would they? Because I mean, you're making money off of a public resource. Yeah... Right, and that's where it's it's tough because it's like you're paying for access to the land. So I don't know. I don't know how it's it's a dicey. I mean, when you go down that rabbit hole, it gets squirrely real quick. But I mean, if you're going to talk about outfitting in on on private land for a public resource, that's a gray area. Yeah, really hard to know. It seems like on any one situ- situation or. Uh, you know, situation. Yeah, you could be on either side of the fence there. To say, and I'm not picking on outfitters. Say, but, well, it's a public resource. Well, it's private land. But think well, of like, and resource. you did it too. But think about like like defensive baiting. Like, I mean, I know plenty of outfitters oh, yeah. that are dumping tons, literally tons of corn on properties sure. to suck deer in from every other private land around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's well, and that is the thing that that's my argument with the corn pile stuff is like it's having a drastic impact on a public resource, drastic. even though it's on private land. Drastic. So I my opinion is that it should be regulated. Yeah, I think it's um, and again, like I said, it's not an overnight thing. A lot of these measures, I do think, will provide access, more access in the future. Um, 
you know, maybe you take baiting away and the leasing thing doesn't change. Eventually it does. I think that, you know, it's no different than my argument with cell cams is if you took cell cams away during the hunting season, people will not lease or secure as much ground because they can't monitor it. That would relinquish ground back to the general kitty pot, basically, of, you know, availability to lease or hunt or whatever. Um, and that's that's ultimately what we have to figure out is like what what actions are going to lead to more access. Yeah, yeah. essentially more access to slash both. less demand for more access to land and more access to the resource. Yeah. I mean that's that's what you want. And I don't know those answers at all. At all. But now, I, I, there's some that seem pretty sure. straightforward. Sure. Yeah, I mean the yeah, the hardest part, and I get their argument, the baiting argument of like what's well, been legal in Ohio for as long as I can. It has, you know, and, but I just, it was not. It's never been exploited to the level that correct. it is now. And that's because of the amount of, you know, pressure on the landscape, the number of people competing for access and for the resource, you know, the limited resource. Nick. The limited resource. Yeah. Hey, we got some shirts coming. We are. We're working on some a bunch of designs. That'll be that's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to to, <laughs> to see those get put to. We've been working. We've been talking about it long enough that it was finally. Hopefully, like, you guys will get a kick out of some. Like some of the designs are you know fairly oriented towards our conversations with corn piles and stuff like that. So yeah, but yeah, we got that. We got that coming for you guys here. Fairly, That'll be fun. Soon. Yeah, it'll be cool. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, it'll be cool to to see what that organization looks like because I assume that they're gonna get. They're going to hear feedback that's like coming from the resident hunting population. Mm-hmm. And I, or at least let me say this. I hope they do. Because when we heard that originally in Kansas, it was like, oh, that sounds great. And then immediately the industry and the non-residents got involved and smothered it like a child with a pillow over its face. Yeah, that's who shut it down. Yeah. And that's not... Um, single-handedly. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, the, uh, you know, no offense to him. It's, that's not right. Of course. That's, that's not right. Like the, the, yeah, what is the resident, what is best for the resource that is owned by the people of that state? And you then have all of this, like just influence and money making come over the top. And it's like, that's not right. That's not what this is supposed to be, but that's, that's that sucks. I mean, we're as hunters, we're in that position to want to influence other states because our states have been mismanaged. Right. Yep. That's the only it's reason. The, that's that's the why only we reason, go to Iowa. It's the only reason that T-Bone cares about baiting in Kansas is because, you know, Georgia or wherever he's hunting has been, it doesn't have the quality. Correct. Well, there's a, there's a natural element of that too, you know, soils and stuff like that. So I'm, yeah, but I, I mean, it's, it's been mismanaged. It's why we all flock to Iowa. And, T- and T-Bone is a friend. So, I mean, we yeah. say that it, it would love. Iowa is one of the last remaining great whitetail states it's because they've shut down corn piles they've shut down crossbows solely they've, they've because shut down non-residents the state is not as good as ohio or missouri as far from a habitat standpoint like we should have better deer than those places they've managed it Iowa. yeah they've just they've managed it they've put restrictions on mm-hmm. non-residents and on baiting and mm-hmm. on crossbows mm-hmm. and yeah everybody wants to go and there. this is what you got and it's because <laughs> our states aren't as good right that's just that's the demand that's how it builds so they've been not managed as well as how i would if, say that if you if you could fix the management in states like even illinois but but indiana ohio pennsylvania is on I, its way i read an interesting uh piece from onyx i was telling you the other, i know you gotta mm-hmm. we gotta jump here but uh you get 10 minutes mm-hmm. um maybe five minutes yeah uh they Basically, it was an article about um, uh, asking the, the CEO or, or somebody from their company about uh, 
how they feel about like how it's opened up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, all this, uh, the resources now available, you can go find these places fairly easily. Like it's, uh, and they also pointed to the state as like, Hey, these resources are going to exist. Like it's the state's job to manage, to manage the resource. Like you can't affect technology is going to continue gonna to evolve. Continue. These tools are going to, and people are going to naturally take advantage of them. Yep. It's the state's responsibility to manage the resource. And the and, state's and back. I would yeah. wholeheartedly agree. I don't think it's Onyx's yeah. fault. Like they have a great business. It's a great, it's a great tool. The state's slow, and that's the yeah. issue. The state doesn't evolve. The technology with technology is fast. evolve exactly, and there's there's your flaw. So, but yeah. Anyways, yeah, I gotta go take a call. Okay. Well, uh, we appreciate you listening to this episode, the Gross Boon episode, one seventy. Yep, and uh, you know, get out there, get some vitamin D, shed hunt a little bit, and uh, you know, enjoy what, enjoy what's left of February here. March is on the horizon, and we start getting to work a little bit more. Yes, sir. So we'll catch y'all next week. Later. It's take me. Oh.